0: Cigarette. We had a murder a few years back. Two girls, campers. You know what we ought to do. We had to pop them. What? Ray wasn't our main suspect. He was our only suspect. This
1: is my son, Ray. He's my assistant manager at Bates Motel. Hello,
0: Mr. Pye. Listen, the best way you can handle Ray Pie. Hey, Ray. ...is to stay the hell away from him. Maybe he came on to one of those girls back then, and she said thanks, but no thanks.
1: Get your stuff, and go home. Fuck out of here!
0: That's why they're both of them dead.
1: what is he gonna do, murder me in the laundry room in broad daylight? Give
0: hey, Jennifer, I want you to go to meet Catherine.
1: I'm a good girl. Some of these women are animals. Wanna play a little game? What kind of game? i ask you a question. You have to answer it completely and truthfully, no bullshit. What's the worst thing you've ever done? I like you and we've had a good time together. I just don't think we should keep on seeing each other. Wanna be able to, like, fuck other guys? Is that, like, all the fuck you Fuck!
0: What worries me is what does a guy like that do when he finds out that he's been betrayed?
1: fucking had it with everyone fucking They just go so crazy. Ah! Oh. <laughs> Boo. You staying there, you hear? Fuck, you guys don't know each other, do you? <laughs> Hello? Sally, Jennifer. Jennifer, Sally. I get in the car, Jennifer, before I kill your <laughs> fucking ass in front of the neighbors. I'm having a great time. Hi,
2: welcome to Horror vs. Reality. And today's guest host, because Morgan is still on hiatus, is BP of the Let's Talk Horror channel. Welcome.
3: Hello. Um, Thanks for having me. I I feel, you know, important. I can't believe, you know, I'm like a guest host rather than (laughs) just a guest. I mean, how dare Morgan let this happen? I feel so sorry that everybody else has to listen to me.
2: How dare she get married to the (laughs) love of her life? How
3: dare (laughs) she be happy?
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we're we're thrilled for her, obviously, Absolutely. and I'm very grateful that you brought this film to me to do this episode.
3: Yeah I mean hopefully you liked it. Um, I mean I've got a long history which I'm sure we're, we're going to with this film. Uh, it was interesting to revisit it but uh, it'd be interesting to hear what you think about it.
2: So before we dig into the nitty-gritty just my yeah. let me just tell you my experience with it. I first tried to watch it because we tried to record this a couple of weeks ago and um, I just had too much on my plate and had to d- And then my fucking computer just completely shitted. And anyway, everything's fixed now and we're back to it. But I watched it prior to that, you know, anticipating that I would be recording that day. And the day before when I was watching it, I had a really hard time with it. Like yeah. it was, it wasn't because it was boring partially. It was because I had just made edibles and I was, um, again, <laughs> again in the legal state, uh, I had just made edibles and I was big. Like I was a zombie, <laughs> like melting into the couch, the, the, not the couch, the, um, the bed, my, the sheets of the bed started doing a Cronenberg thing where
3: it's just part it of was my body. Like, uh, I thought it was going to be like, get out when you've gone into like the sun, Place.
2: Okay, it wasn't quite sunken place. I, it was more it was more like <laughs> I was turning into the bed. The bed was me. It was more Cronenbergian. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I would like kind of go in and out of consciousness and be like, oh, dear God. Okay, and then pause it and then be like, all right, let's take a breather. I came back into the wrong part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, but uh, after watching it thoroughly the second time, Last night, wide awake, had a late night cup of coffee. Everyone was asleep. It was the perfect time to just zone in. And I I couldn't stop watching. I, there was no point where I wanted to pause it. Not at all. It's... For a B direct-to-video type film, which this is, it's intense, but I will say this. um, I've never seen a movie based on a Jack Ketchum novel that isn't super intense. I think, I guess I need to read some Jack Ketchum novels because apparently he has no qualms taking a real crime and then somehow making it worse in a fictional sense.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This film, this film goes to places that you don't expect uh, a movie like this to go.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen the girl next door. Jack Ketchum's the girl next door.
3: Um. Well, no, because now I'm thinking of the one with like you know the porno one.
2: No, not that one. <laughs> With Elisha Douche, no, Eliza. What? What is her name? The chick, Cuff- the, the Cuthbert. yes. The daughter and Emile from Twenty Four, yes. And Emile yeah, Hirsch. No,
3: I'm thinking of that one.
2: Okay, no. Um. All right, so it's. I think it's from 2006. I actually go watch the movie and then go listen to Morgan and I's episode of this podcast on the Girl Next Door because we've already I mean, like, covered it. Um. That's why I have such a fresh memory of how intense jack ketchum is because that episode is like low-key depressing we like try to keep it as light as possible <laughs> but i mean the crime that it's based on is sue is a super bummer it's like really? oh yeah we're talking child torture
3: oh the worst type
2: It's a real bummer. (laughs) Like, like we're trying to be like, all right, guys, here's a palate cleanser so that you don't start crying in the middle of our episode. (laughs) (laughs) Nervous laughter. Um, But yeah, so this is in the same vein. I would say that there, there are like some brief moments of levity in this that aren't. And uh, the girl next door. The girl next door just feels kind of relentless in a way that this doesn't. This film at least gives you some breathers. I feel like, yeah, which is good because the intense parts are incredibly intense, and uh, yeah. you need you need the the down side of it. But let's let's get started with your notes because I'm taking over the crime this time, guys. I'm not doing the movie because. Um, well, I just know more about true crime than BP and it felt better to put the movie in his hands.
3: <laughs> yeah, basically. I and can... he's the one who the brought movie. me the movie
2: too. So yeah, he has a special so relationship so. with it.
3: Yeah, I know a little bit more in regards to like the movie side of it and you're, you know, a lot more intelligent than me. So you can, you know, oh. read things better and you can write things better than me. So you're much better equipped to do the, you know, the true crime side of it.
2: All right. Well, would you like to take it away then?
3: I will do. Yeah, here we go. Right. So the film was released in 2006, which is around the sort of time when we started getting a lot of films like this, that were like very small budget, independent horrors. But I, I really enjoyed that time because there was a lot of unpredictability around it. And you didn't really know what sort of film it was going to be, which is why when we talk about this film a little bit more later, um, You know, this film is always, always stuck with me. And I know why it stuck with me, but it's just there's just something about this movie. And it's exactly the same as a friend of mine that we talk about this film all the time and we don't even know fucking why. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, But it's just imprinted with me. But yeah, like around that sort of time. We were getting, you know, the usual horrors and stuff that were, you know, would go to the cinema and so on. But we were getting a lot of these, you know, independent, really nasty horrors.
2: Yeah, totally.
3: Um, but the film is directed by Chris Siverston, uh, who is basically made nothing else that you would know, um, <laughs> apart from that really, um, the really smutty Lindsay Lohan movie. Um, I Know who killed but, me? Yeah, the smutty one, you know, <laughs> when she was just like, I'm a bad girl now. And
2: uh, One of he made that stripper
3: that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he made yeah, that. Called
2: I know who killed me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, um, and the main guy, Mark center, who I'll talk about a little bit, he was actually in that as well, uh, which I didn't remember until I looked it up. Uh, and he also made a recent movie with Christina Ritchie called monstrous, which I, I didn't see at all.
2: I have not seen that either, but it has been on my to do list.
3: Well, I, let me know if it's any good because obviously it's Christina Ritchie, So I sort of, you know, I've still got a crush on her. So I'm, I'm going to watch anything she does.
2: I love her too. I've been watching Yellow Jackets that she's on the show on yeah. um, Showtime. It's great. But uh, no, I was going to say I, I wanted to see it even more after watching this because this guy's actually like he does a really good job. It's a really yeah. uh, there's definitely something there. Yeah, it's a very magnetic role and he plays it to a hilt.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the film stars Mark Center as Ray Pye, uh, Shay Astar as Jennifer Fitch, Alex Frost as Tim Bess, Megan Henning as Sally Richmond, uh, and then loads of them uh, Michael Bowen, Detective Charlie Schilling, and th- th- there's loads of other people as well. Um, Mark Center. Um, who obviously I'm sure we will talk more about uh, during the episode, and I know I will uh, for sure. Uh, somehow after this film, he never quite made it to be the star that I thought he would be. Uh, he he, he had continued to work and was actually in that, like I said, that smutty Lindsay Lohan movie. Uh, and he was recently uh, starring opposite Stephen Lang um, in 2022's Old Man. Old Man. Uh, that- that, that that has nothing to do with Don't Breathe, even though it looks like the same film.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean it's just because of Stephen, though. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's just because of Stephen Lang. That's it. Um, the other cast members are mostly unknowns, but obviously they—I know there's someone that you do want to talk about.
2: Yes, let me talk about Alex Frost. So the second I never, never put, heard oh, of him before. Okay, so I recognized him from another movie that oh, okay. in, that imprinted on me. At a sort cer- of certain age, so let's rewind the clocks and go back to two thousand three. I'm at blockbuster, and this is just, <laughs> and this has just hit the shelves. It's got a very like, not very like, just the case of it wasn't like, didn't really draw you in. It's mostly white, and and just like small letters, and then there's like a face on the front, and then just in small letters it says, "Elephant." Now if you haven't oh, seen, oh
3: okay. Elephant. The Gus Bonson one, isn't it? Yes. Oh, okay.
2: Elephant, I... Okay, so not only was it available for rent, but it had already been chucked into the 4 for 20 bin at Blockbuster. <laughs> so I bought it and fell in love with it, despite the subject matter, which is um dark. Uh, so yeah. let me let me just explain that Elephant is basically... The events of the day in real time, right before Columbine happened. Yeah, so it does. It never says that. It doesn't. It's. It's. But it's very much that. <laughs> never yeah, says it's, it's that, but it is that.
3: It's. It's a tough film to watch.
2: It is, but it's so beautifully made.
3: It is. It is very well made.
2: Okay, so here's where Alex Frost comes in. He plays one of the shooters.
3: Ah, oh, okay. See, now I need to yeah. go back and watch it. And I'll be like, there we go.
2: You do. You'll be like, oh, my man.
3: <laughs> there he is.
2: Because that's how I was when I saw him. I was like, it's the shooter dude from Elephant. I know him.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's always putting himself in, in dark movies.
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, from, from those two, absolutely. Both of these movies, <laughs> <laughs> Elephant and this are both incredibly dark.
3: And Elephant's... he was never seen again.
2: Yeah, no, I think he's still been working. I looked at his, I, I perused his IMDb before we started talking. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's continued to work in small stuff here and there.
3: Good. but Also uh, but not yeah, like, a star. <laughs> no, also not a star. But yeah, like I said, most of the other people in the film are, are mostly unknowns. But yeah. uh, we do have Katie Cassidy, who some people uh, might recognize her from uh, Supernatural. She's in that. Um, And she was also in the very shit remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street.
2: I recognized her from Supernatural because my sister and her husband love Supernatural. And I lived with them one summer and uh, they have reruns here in the States on uh, the Turner Network TNT. And uh, yeah, they used to show you like three or four episodes starting at like 7 (laughs) a.m.,
3: i would have been there watching it the whole time Uh,
2: supernatural so i've seen more supernatural than i ever wanted to see
3: no no no
2: shade it It just wasn't super my cup of tea i mean it's watchable for sure i still watched it (laughs) but it's not the thing i would have gone out of my way to do if it wasn't just what was on and when i was having coffee with my sister i may have never watched it you know what i mean
3: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly um, but other than than the cast we've spoken about and Mark Center, like I said, not taking Hollywood by storm, which is obviously the biggest travesty ever. Which once again I will talk about as well. But the worst thing is that we have the legendary D Wallace in the movie. You know someone i consider ridiculously underrated considering how many amazing performances she's given us uh in so she's many super so many movies. horror movies i mean you've got kujo you? et critters movies the original hills of eyes the howling the frighteners a quick cameo in house of the devil most mm-hmm. of rob zombies movies i mean the list goes on she yeah. is I love a you true all. legend and a ridiculously fantastic actor as well. So. When she pops up in this film and she's in it for like three minutes. So underused. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I remember seeing it the first time and I was like, oh, Dee Wallace is in it. She's going to be like, you know, she's going to have an integral role. Um, Why couldn't she no, play sorry.
2: Ray's mom?
3: Yeah, She, would, exactly she could have
2: that
3: on the ballpark. Yeah. Or do you know what? Just for her. Just create a completely new character uh, that, that is in it the whole movie for no reason. Um, I, I I love. She's
2: the hard boiled detective. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's it. Any chance you can put D Wallace in a movie? Do it, but don't don't just give her a side part. You know, she's integral to bloody cinema. Uh, I I don't. I, I'm going off on a D Wallace rant now, but I apologize. I would say she's, in, she's definitely I
2: integral to the horror genre.
3: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, very rarely do we get performances like hers that deliver that sort of intensity. Uh, i just i just bloody love her she's a big inspiration to the acting side of me let's just say that that's why i get wound up by it um
2: (laughs) fair enough i get it
3: um but yeah so so in regards to that that's the cast there's not there's not loads of people that we will know um but i as i said and i'll speak about it later the biggest travesty would be that mark center never went on to anything but i'll talk about that in a bit later
2: um, the detective—he's worth a little more mention, I believe.
3: Well, do you know what? I get confused too often. But what happens is that there was two people that were like detectives, and one of them had been in Breaking Bad before, and one of them was in Office Space. Which okay, one? I know, I couldn't tell I know you.
2: the one. I know the one that was in Breaking Bad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know? So, so basically, what I what I know is that the one I think it's Michael Bowen. He's the one that was in Breaking Bad. And the other one, Richard Real, where his name is, he's in Office Space, I believe, which is a great movie.
2: Uh, oh, OK. He was, he's been in some Tarantino stuff. He was in Jackie Brown.
3: Oh, OK. And, Kill,
2: and he was, uh, oh, this is where I really, really know him from. He was Buck in Kill Bill Volume 2, the one who, like, hands a guy a thing of Vaseline and then tells him to have that. Uh, Uma Thurman's comatose body?
3: Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? <laughs> well, the problem is, is, I'm one of the worst people to ask, because I'm not a big Quentin Tarantino fan, so... Um,
2: mm, okay. No, there's yeah. this there's this scene that is actually... You know what? This is oddly not the first time I've talked about this scene on this podcast.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, so, there's a scene in Kill Bill Volume 2 where, um, if you've seen Kill Bill, you'll know this, but I don't want to spoil it too much, even though it's an older movie at this point, but she gets knocked into a coma for many years. And right before she wakes up from her coma, one of the orderlies, which is played by Michael Bowen, has basically been, you know, for cash, letting people fuck her unconscious body.
3: What son of a bitch?
2: Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Um, Luckily, though, when he reaches down to kiss her, she happens to be conscious enough to bite his lip off, and uh, yeah, it's she's just a badass. It's a great movie, anyway. <laughs> but but that's where I know him from, and the reason that's why I talked yes, and the reason why I've talked about that before is because when we did our episode on eaten alive about and Joe Ball, the man who really fed his victims to an alligator, <laughs> or I guess it was a crocodile, it was either an alligator or a crocodile. It was like different in the movie than it was in real life. But anyway, this, okay, because Tarantino is a film buff and loves movies as much as the next person, um, he, there's a scene where he does love feet goodness. Um, But, but so this scene is an homage to a scene out of Eaten Alive. Oh, okay. Because Buck says to uh, the, to unconscious uma thurman he says my name's buck and i like to fuck (laughs) and uh (laughs) mm -hmm, but it's literally verbatim what robert england's character says in eat toby hooper's eaten alive
3: oh okay
2: so it's a reference to that and that's robert england pre-nightmare
3: oh okay but you know before the makeup and you know
2: Oh, super baby-looking, baby-face Robert England.
3: Baby-face England.
2: Yes. Uh, Yeah, but let's get back to the movie.
3: (laughs) Let's get back to it. Well, basically, what I've got is sort of a a full run-through, sort of scene-by-scene of the movie. Um, But I've tried, like we were saying earlier, this film is not necessarily a nice film. So I've tried making it a little bit more entertaining. So that way... People don't, you know, think that they shouldn't watch his film and they're going to shit themselves constantly. It, it's, you know, it's not that bad, but it is bad. Yeah. So the one, uh, basically the film opens uh, with Once Upon a Time, a boy named Ray Pie put crushed beer cans in his boots to make himself taller. But he's a fucking dumbass. I mean, he could have just worn platforms, but instead, no, he, he puts, you know, crushed beer cans in his shoes to make him a bit taller.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh,
3: Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so Ray is it's,
2: Oh, I'm sorry. It's my understanding that that is the first line from the novel.
3: Yes, uh, I believe so. Um. So Ray is taking a stroll through the forest, and then suddenly—and I do mean suddenly—there's a completely naked woman, and he asks if she if if she has a cigarette. Uh. I mean, no, she's got no clothes on, Ray. So probably no cigarettes. But it just makes me laugh that that's the first thing he says.
2: Yeah, like what, uh, where where am I gonna pull this out from underneath my left boob?
3: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but smokes. now, <laughs> but now there's two naked women, and Ray obviously, you know, he absolutely loves it. We then meet his friends, and it's surprising he has any because obviously he's a dick. Mm-hmm. But but with the naked girls that are no longer naked, they are now making out, and this does not please Ray because obviously he's a homophobic, son of a bitch.
2: Okay. I feel like I should preference to the people who have not seen this movie and are just listening to our breakdown of it, but they are not making out. She, They are having a small conversation about how one of them has broken up with somebody and you know is trying to get over that, and the other one admittedly might be into her friend, but well, yeah. she just like kind of rubs her hair and is like, it'll be okay, you don't need him. And they do this kind of like, weird kiss friends thing where they kiss on the lips but it doesn't look romantic it looks the way that a child kisses their mother good night on the lips
3: right okay
2: and then ray immediately is like ooh lesbians
3: yeah he he basically goes full like
2: mm-hmm.
3: classic dickhead
2: mm-hmm. yes
3: um so he's suggesting to his friends to pop them which as we know is douchebag lingo for shoot them mm-hmm. uh, but 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 they think he's kidding but We know that he's not.
2: No, he's not kidding.
3: He's not. So after a super pointless dialogue scene between the two ladies, they are suddenly shot from a distance. Now this is the re- where you start to realise that this is going to be a dark movie because, like we've already sort of mentioned, that things happen throughout this film and they're they're really in your face and they're really all of a sudden. And that's what this scene is straight away. You know, you've gone from, you know, you, you sort of learn, you know, that Ray's a bit of a dick and he's got his friends and they're trying to build that sort of story. But out of the blue the way that it's shot it feels very it feels very realistic
2: it feels like you're sitting around the campfire with them and suddenly you just see them bleeding the shots happened and they're responding in real time and you it's panic
3: inducing yes it is is, it's one of those scenes that like i mentioned earlier is is why this film is since two thousand and six been imprinted into my scene. And there's many more scenes like this, which you'll hear. Um, but yeah, it's just such it's so vicious this film. When it goes to those places, it really goes to those places.
2: Mm, Totally. Like there's a scene after like one of them gets shot pretty bad and is down, and the other one's like, please get up. And then she gets shot again and then she's down and then you just see the other one literally like Barely alive, blinking, just blinking.
3: Yeah.
2: And then he uh,
3: kills him. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's it yeah, it, it, it's it is a dark film. But one it's of the rough. girls is still is one of the girls is still alive and Ray hovers over her staring because, you know, he's a mental. His friends are freaking out, but Ray is Uh, you know weirdly calm as fuck and he's telling them the plan to dispose of the bodies basically it definitely feels like this is something that he's done before but guess what the woman he was staring at is alive and she's legged it and ray goes after her but she gets away in a white van and it picks her up to safety and obviously you know she's gonna live on for many many years wrong Because now it cuts to four years later and we find out through bar talk that the girl was on life support after all these years and she's dead. So basically, it's already pretty shit. Um (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) So the detective uh, turns up at some rich person's house and we get the, now, like I mentioned earlier, the only scene in the movie with Dee Wallace. She seems to be, from what I gather, the mother of the girl that died and she shows us Oh, why she's so good the struggle of the four years is apparent in her performance and like i said i wish she was in it more uh but that unfortunately that's it that's all you get from her That's
2: all the D you grieving. get grieving
3: she's grieving mm-hmm. so briefly we are back with ray's friends who act like they're owned by ray they every time you know ray's with them was throughout the film or if they're on their own they're always talking about him because it's almost as if you know they are they are owned by him.
2: Well, it's exactly like the character Catherine in the movie describes them later on. They're basically his groupies.
3: Yes, yeah, yeah, basically they are. Uh, and now Ray's out about again, and he's all in leather, swagging around, dressed the dressed like Joe Bob Briggs, and <laughs> and he has a friend with him. She, she's a rich kid with an attitude and we get a bit of a backstory but no one really gives a fuck so we move on because you know sometimes there's points in this film where you get a little bit backstory that you're like I don't really give a fuck about that
1: mm-hmm.
3: um so back at the Bates Motel and Ray is in his tighty whities and he's got a date with his new obsession but first he needs to clean out the shitter <laughs> uh also, we uh, also we get a really well-done shot where we actually get to see how small Ray is until he puts in on his boots. And then when he's finished having a talk with her, he puts the boots on and then he goes back to being what, you know, he's trying to be a little bit taller. Um, but then he's off with the plunger in his hand.
2: And that... Then- Yes, and the girl he was talking to was Jennifer, because she, like, off and on sort of, like, lives there with him sometimes. they, She definitely thinks that they are in a relationship, and he has no regard for that in any way, shape, or
3: form. No, and just basically leads her on the whole film. Yes. Uh, there's a new staff member, and Ray's already... You know, because he's a douche. Uh, he's got his eyes on her. But she's shacking up with some old dudes. But he knows of Ray Pai and warns her to stay away from him.
2: He's like a retired cop.
3: Yes, that's right. And, you know, they already know of Ray. And, and uh, yeah, he's, he's you know, not forcing his hand on her really, you know. But he's basically being like, look, you know, be careful.
2: Stay away from him. He's okay. Stay
3: away from him. That's it. Uh, But in the next scene, Ray doesn't give her the chances. He loves a good chat and invites her out. But remember what the old dude said, and and she says no. She does say no to Ray. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a a quick scene, one of his mates is cutting a lot of drugs, which obviously will come back later. And then back to Ray, where he's being questioned by the detective. But it's usually Ray is quick. Yeah.
2: I would just like to interject that it's not super clear that he that uh, and by the way, this is um Alex Frost's character Tim. Yes, basically, Tim picks up drugs and mails them for Ray, but it looks kind of like it could be a brick of heroin, but it's hash.
3: <laughs> yeah, so that's what I got. This is what it was because originally in my notes, I was just like, Well, I mean, that's heroin, um, <laughs> but but <It's> hash. <laughs> but. But it's not, it is, it is hash and it doesn't look like it at all. It looks more like just a big block of heroin.
2: Well, when you get really, really shit hash that's been, you know, taken on the ba- the bottom of a car from Mexico or something, you know, it's not going to look great.
3: No, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, the, the Ray probably wouldn't know fucking much different anyway. He's a, He's an absolute buffoon yeah that's true <laughs> um yeah so uh, then uh, back with with, with ray's being questioned by the detective uh, but as usual ray is quick is a quick talker and unfazed by it all basically ray he doesn't get on well let on anything in this movie he is you know a a very quick thinker a quick talker uh you know, he can get himself out of any situation, whether people but, believe him or not, or trust him or not, but he does.
2: He does show a little bit of a crack after the detective yes. leaves he like messes his hair up because the detective's like cool hair or something like that to him.
3: yeah yeah that's it yeah and uh and he's quite clearly taking the piss out of him and ray doesn't like it yeah,
2: yeah uh the detective
3: uh the detective has a chat with the new employee and you really start to understand how worried they are about ray so ray is grabbing a bite to eat where he runs into his new colleague again he just won't quit and he's holding he's holding a party he invites her again but she declines at and at this point um this is where ray also gets chatted up chatted up by katie cassidy who's obviously into him Mm uh here it starts to take once again like i said a darker turn because ray has a photography book for sally as a present um i did forget to mention that apparently she does photography that's sort of thrown in there um (laughs) but (laughs) that's um, true
2: when when she's like cleaning and he's hassling her she's like i might go to college for photography oh you're a photographer yeah
3: yeah and uh, and then so he, you know, he's nice enough to buy a little book for photography. He thinks that's going to be a nice one. But and he's also it's he's a book um, that he always says that he looks at and so on like that. But she's onto Ray's game straight away because she knows it's a brand new book and tells Ray that he's full of shit, uh, which obviously mm-hmm. is we sort of gathered already is a bad idea. Uh, yeah. But he gets into her car and he grabs her. But she threatens to scream his face off, and Ray leaves. Um, You know, you know, it's one of those things that he's not happy about. But it does once again show that you know, sort of ferocious and dark instinct of of Ray that that's you know what he does.
2: Yeah, it was kind of a scene like, "Who do you think you are? How dare you turn me down?"
3: Yeah, that's pretty much it. So randomly, the detective does a fart. Um, I don't, (laughs) which I don't really get. I thought
2: that was so out of place in the movie and out of the tone it's so out of
3: place yeah it's so out of place it's almost as if like I don't know It felt like they were probably just filming him and he was just like, I'm going to fart. And then I sit there, like, keep it in the film.
2: I I feel like that's almost exactly what had to have happened.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But after the little fart that he does, we're now at Ray's party. But that detective who did a fart, he puts in a no noise complaint. Ray's happy because Katie Cassidy is at the party. But before he can pull his moves, the cops turn up. They really don't like Ray, but he is quick off the mark again and doesn't want to stop the party. but he has no choice. But he isn't happy about it Yeah they he have sta- to flush
2: all the drugs
3: Yes yeah all the, shit ju- all the shit Drugs that's either heroin or hash
2: It was definitely just hash and pot from what I could see
3: <laughs> So he Starts smashing the absolute shit Out of his room and his girlfriend not Girlfriend is scared by it But something tells me she's been Through this before and he does Feel like that he's like it, mm-hmm. the way that she Is it's like you know oh he, he's Having another little tantrum
2: but she does Walk on eggshells around him because she knows that he is really dangerous
3: yeah absolutely and she tries to comfort him but as we know he's a dick and unfortunately it's another fucking you know messed up scene because he makes a strip in front of him uh and performs sexual acts on him uh, but he also likes a finger up his bum um yeah. which you know was also unexpected uh, uh but unfortunately uh-huh. then he gets violent with her and then he tells her to go hmm
2: um, and she's like okay bye
3: <laughs> yeah okay bye but you know can i clean my hands first maybe uh, yeah. <laughs> um to, to make himself feel better though the narcissistic arsehole looks at himself in the mirror gives himself a mole and some eyeliner and he absolutely fucking loves himself didn't he
2: well yeah he's also um previous to this he had with Catherine made a date so he was kind of hoping that the party would get broken up a little bit. Uh, you know what I mean? Like on one level, he's glad that it's over because he can go hopefully fuck Catherine now.
3: Yes. Yeah, that's it. And then the other side of him's just like, well, Katie Cassidy turned up as well. So he's happy about that. Either way, you know, he probably knew that something was going to happen sexy wise.
2: He's like, either way, I'm getting fucked and it's not by Jennifer tonight. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah,
3: exactly. And then he's just an absolute dick to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ray is back on the road with his fancy friend from earlier and they are in some fancy bar and have a game of truth and dare. He tells some truths, he tells some lies. Then she asks him what the worst thing he's ever done is. But he's not gonna say that he killed some people. So he tells a story of him trashing some place and finds a gun, but that's that's all he lets on we know that there's more to the story but that's all he lets on for now
2: he tells a half truth which is how lies become really believable because all those details that he was telling about them trashing the house and everything leading up to finding the guns really did happen he just didn't mention what he did with the guns after that
3: yeah e- yeah exactly exactly you sort of basically you know you know you can't trust him mm-hmm. um And then after a little bit of more pointless backstory with his new girlfriend, uh, she bids him a farewell until the following night where he's Elvis style strutting his stuff. Um, But she's bored as fuck. Uh, So Ray takes her somewhere special. That's somewhere special being a dirty swamp.
2: Yeah. But before the dirty swamp scene, we do. I want to go back on the things that uh, happened with her because i do find i do find them to be a little important just on stuff that happens later on but so you learn that her mother is a schizophrenic yeah and you learn that's where that's why her father's out of town because he's visiting the mother in the mental hospital and we also find out that she basically lied to her mother and said something terrible about the father cheating and then the mother, who was so caught up in her paranoid delusions, decided to grill her hand. She sticks her hand flat on the top of a grill. Barbecue in the kitchen. style. Yeah. And burns the fuck out of it. And that was, you know. So basically, you know, she blames herself. She's basically like, I made my mom barbecue her hands.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, which is something not all of us can say.
2: Yeah. So she feels guilty, but she also has her own demons is what we get from that.
3: Yeah, basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But in in a scene Not too too long from now Well in a minute You learn that uh, demons aren't You know all that demonic Um, But at the moment Yeah he he takes her to a swamp Because obviously he knows How to treat all the ladies But she Mm -hmm. Instead of that She gets absolutely starkers And decides that she'd rather A game of sex Than go into This fucking Whatever it is A muddy cornfield Or whatever it is It's a swamp He's trying to get
2: He's trying to get her To skinny dip in a swamp And they have this whole Conversation about leeches and she's like i don't care and then she's like you know what this isn't my style let's just fuck
3: yeah that's it and they do and basically he starts flopping around on her like a dolphin um it uh, doesn't
2: look particularly real
3: no she doesn't seem very impressed by it
2: no she Um, seems bored
3: (laughs) And and that's it. And then this is why it's sort of another important scene because where she's not impressed by it, Ray's just like, Oh fucking hell, I've got to you know live up to my manhood and all that. So then what he does is he actually tells her the story, um, which I, I assume that he tells her the real story of the Half lie that he told earlier. Yeah. Um. We, you know, this is what we assume at this point. Um. You know, we don't actually hear it, but he, you know, as I said, I think that he's told her about his crimes. Um. And then she's intrigued, and he's more than happy to tell her how good it felt to him, because obviously he's an absolute fucking mental. Uh. But now, but he's not the only psycho, because she absolutely loves his dark past and tries to bang him again. Um. But she gets a call, uh, and her mum has died, and she tells him to go
2: now all that whoriness for darkness has just whoop, yeah
3: that's it and then we get some sort of like you know ray sex montage um over top of you know things that are going on and the cop is on a lookout again waiting for him to slip up
2: can we talk about the cinematography of this montage for a moment because it's a weird yeah. interesting choice yes. so the whole thing is sped up uh probably like three times and yeah. then it's also double negative exposure <laughs> yes it's like or I mean, it's more like long exposure so there's these like line trace scenes of him like still sort of being there and then in, walking over and then it goes back and it intercuts between Fast cutting uh, scenes of him fucking one chick And then fast cutting scenes of him fucking a different one And they have different music for each style of fucking One of them's like heavy metal and like hard (laughs) fucking (laughs) And the other one's like soft jazz (laughs) Or soul music Yeah, it's like
3: one of those scenes that like It's like, I'm a a real director now And uh, I'm going to try like some fucking shit That people have never seen before uh, Oh man,
2: I saw some So when I was deep in the reviews of this film Just like after I had already written my piece about it you know i was i saw several people ripping on him for this montage like
3: this is so (laughs) student
2: film guy (laughs) yeah
3: it it does feel a little bit like that doesn't it yeah a little bit um so once again ray is now a complete dick in the next scene where he shows us how mean he can be by giving jennifer the girl who's quite clearly in love with him um he ray gives her a ring he says it's a diamond picked out for her specifically but obviously it's not he got it from a drawer because he's he's just such a nice guy Uh, and while she's crying with overwhelming emotion he is literally laughing at her like literally laughing while she's crying and he's hugging her and everything like that he's like finds it the funniest thing in the world he's you know that's that's the sort of guy he is he's
2: fucking demented
3: Yeah, he is demented. That's it. Um, yeah, basically, it's Ray straight to back to being Ray. Um, he's now at a party doing coke in a rather swanky shirt, and he's going absolutely off the rails, telling stories and doing more coke and then more coke, uh, and then he's off. He does basically a lot of drugs.
2: Mm-hmm. He's the- Speedy Gonzalez on that coke, though.
3: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Um, the, detective <laughs> is, the detective is still on the case, and he's trying to speak to Ray's mate about what happened. That's the one. That's the bloke that you know. Um I keep forgetting his name. <laughs> that's the one, Alex Frost. Tim. Um, yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, he basically the detective is trying to speak to him about what happened to the girls that were killed. Um, he's also now talking to Jennifer, and he's trying to nail Ray Ray's ass. He also breaks her heart as he tells her that, that the diamond ring Ray got her is not a diamond, and she smashes it with a hammer and breaks down. Basically, she's had enough of Ray's shit at this point because she realizes that he's a piece of shit liar.
2: Oh, I should also mention that before that, uh, after. She- she got kicked out by Ray there is a scene where we see her sleep with Tim
3: yes yeah I did forget to mention quite a big bit there but yes she and her and Tim are you know having a little bit of sexy time on the side
2: and that's when Tim tells her that he's been shaving these hash bricks for like six months or something like that and Ray's never noticed that all the shipments have been light
3: yeah, like a little bit shaved off, but this—that's until now. Um, Ray heads over to see his secret lover, but she doesn't seem all that happy to see him, and gets rid of him sharpish after she says that she'll call him later on that night. He's i mean happy she's still so she call-
2: grieving her mother
3: <laughs> that's it yeah well that's it he's happy she called but she doesn't want to see him anymore um he goes mental at her and she's she's basically she just hangs up on him she's had enough of him and i think a mixture of that is like you're saying it's a mixture of the fact that one you know her mother's just died and like you're saying it's you know she's dealing with her own guilt i suppose about how everything that she's done could have led to this um but also if ray did tell her um you know, what he actually did in the hope that, you know, this sort of relationship would be a real thing and thinking that she actually does like his dark past, then part of that might be the case of where she's just like, actually, this is too much for me.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also compounded with the fact that when he's into someone, he lays it on so thick.
3: Yeah. Yeah 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 he does yeah
2: like um, bro you're coming on a little too strong like play hard to get a little bit damn
3: <laughs> so so now because obviously he's super sad about everything that's happened he's crying watching a horror movie and reminiscing of his lost love uh i mean well then, he's he a, remin-
2: then he does a sad wink
3: yeah well that's it he's he's cranking <laughs> um he's more than reminiscing he's playing with his penis yeah he's having a good old crank uh if people don't know what cranking is it's crying and wanking um so so in the, in the morning uh, He gets awoken by Jennifer Who's had enough of his shit And tells him this uh, Tells him this to his face He goes to hit her But his mama is here to save the day And he stomps off like a baby Basically, She throws right, the broken um,
2: ring at him too And scratches his yeah, face
3: Yeah, that's it Which is, you know We know that that's a bad thing um, She but also yeah, makes the,
2: a mistake In the fact that she rubs it in his face That she's sleeping with Tim now
3: Yeah, yeah Basically It's one of those things where like so sometimes in films like this it's like almost the unfolding of the character you know like all of his lies are coming out and all of the you know the things that he's done and the way he's treated people in the past he's almost like now it's all coming out and it's you know the fall of ray you know and his demise and stuff but it's not it's the absolute opposite of that and you will you're anybody will you know if you listen to this you'll understand why um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um but then he uh, he then goes to his mate's house uh, which is once again the guy that you know and i don't um and <laughs> and tells him to weigh the drugs he now knows what's been going on and obviously he's super pissed off about it yeah he grabs he it makes grabs me... his oh god I'm sorry s- i'm
2: sorry it actually kind of makes me wonder if he knew about it all along but was letting yeah. it slide yeah, yeah how, well, else would that... he have, how else would he have found out you know
3: well, this is the thing because I started. I don't know, it's one of those typical things or tough things because when when I watched it, I thought the exact same thing. But then you'll start getting into the mind of Ray and you're thinking to yourself, one, like, is Ray the type of person that would let that happen? And part of mm. me thinks he's not. You know what I mean? Like, part of me thinks of person... he's
2: not. But at, when, you know, that was his best friend who holds a secret to him, too.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So either way, yeah, it, there's two ways of looking at it. It's, it, you know, would he let someone do it to him because he doesn't want anything, you know, anyone taking him for a fool. No. But like you're saying on the other side of it, you know, yeah, they've got a pretty dark secret on him and maybe it's yeah, something they- that he lets slide. Yeah,
2: I feel like that could be something that he would let slide because these people are holding a secret to the fact that not only did he murder those girls, but they know where the bodies are buried. They helped him. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. so, so th- from this point onwards, this is where it starts going fucking mental. Uh, this is where
2: it takes the hard turn left
3: yeah absolutely so like i said where it goes from you know you thinking that this might be uh where things start going shit for ray unfortunately things start going shit for everyone else um because well they go
2: shit for ray too
3: well yeah they do go (laughs) shit for ray when
2: you're pushed to this point it's n- You're not on your uh, Your glory tour This is your farewell tour
3: <laughs> Yeah basically Yeah this is it um, But he grabs his shotgun From the wall And out of nowhere um, He is now On his murderous rampage And the first to go Is his mum His mum is literally Sitting in there uh, You know on uh, You know In the motel That they they own Sitting down At the desk And then he just You know Shoots her Point Doesn't blank Doesn't
2: even say a word to her Just walks Doesn't in
3: Doesn't and... say a word Yeah And it's once again <laughs> yeah. It's one of those One of those scenes like so many times in this film where it's just out of the blue instant such impact that it's just like fuck that happened
2: like ow did I just get slapped in the face
3: damn (laughs) that's it that's it then it's off to find Sally Um, he shoots her friend and takes her with him basically he goes to uh, the the burger the diner place where um, Katie Cassidy works when she's going around on her roller boots and, mm-hmm. yeah, out of the blue, shoots the friend that's in the car with Sally and takes uh, Sally with him.
2: Yep, um, kidnaps
3: her. Puts yeah, her in the trunk. It, he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's such a nice guy, isn't he? Um, he mm-hmm. then heads into Jennifer's By the Jennifer's way, broad house.
2: daylight, lots of witnesses.
3: Yeah, he's, he, basically, he's unhinged. He literally doesn't give a fuck now. He's done. Y- yes. Um, He then heads into Jennifer's house, shoots her parents and goes after Jennifer, who is Jennifer, who is trying to escape. But that doesn't happen. And he also takes her. So now he has Sally and Jennifer.
2: And Jennifer's hysterical.
3: Yeah, she's yeah, she's fucking gone.
2: The rest of the movie.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Um, Next is his ex fancy lady. But she puts up a fight. But he but Ray ends up shooting her dad and takes her as well. So now he's got three of them. But the cops. Oh God, are when she
1: already... goes, no! <laughs>
3: that's it. The cops are already on the case, and they're trying to find the girls. Ray now has all the girls together, and he's being the usual dick while they are absolutely terrified, understandably, obviously. Yep. Um, he just basically he just doesn't associate with what's going on. Obviously, he's an absolute psychopath. Um, he's fucking mental. He's gone. Uh, he takes them to this property, and it's not what Ray thinks is going to be. And it's he the goes property Absolutely. that
2: him and Al, uh, him and uh, Tim, uh, trashed.
3: And yes yeah when,
2: he, when they sound the guns
3: yeah that's it and he's expecting it you know to be a shithole um but it's not um he goes there he goes absolutely barmy because the house is now occupied by a couple he doesn't even know here once again it just continues this this horrible path that it goes on because he oh, shoots goodness. the male and then his fancy ex who was into him before um, she found that he's obviously absolutely mental. She tries to leg it, but he shoots her. So now she's mm-hmm. dead. Uh, this is where it gets dark, and this is the. Oh, type actually, of scene,
2: actually, she's not dead because there's a part like a minute later where she moves, and he goes, "She's not fucking dead yet."
3: That's right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. He's like yeah. mad about um, it. So so what I will say before I go any further is that this scene is one of those scenes where when you watch this this will stay with you Um, and it will probably stay with you forever this film has a lot of these scenes but this scene is one of those things that makes you remember it forever it's ridiculously impactful it's so dark so mean so nasty so visceral Um, it's not a nice scene and it's an uncomfortable scene to watch but then at the same time Ray makes it watchable and uh, the person that plays him you know which i'll talk about a little bit more it he sort of makes it watchable like by saying sort of things that that, like you said when he says you know how she's not dead yet and stuff but it's yeah it's a strange so what i'm gonna say next and what i'm gonna go into you know it's it's a lot i mean it's a lot nicer what i'm saying than what happens in the film yeah um oh yeah okay so basically this film, this scene is really brutal and it's really realistic. And it gets worse because the female who now occupies the house is basically trying to put her husband's brains back in his head. And oh she's pregnant. As I said, this is a tough scene to watch. But Ray, the nasty fucker, he cuts open her stomach and, you know, he's enjoying it. So yeah you you can sort of see where this is going um, um I feel
2: like I feel like this is pertinent when he cuts her stomach opened okay well first of all you didn't mention that he he kills her first
3: yes yes. she's yes. not so, or she, yeah, she's don't, she's don't,
2: at she's no. very, at very least unconscious and then yes. um he he starts to cut her stomach open but right before he does that he puts her his hand on her stomach and says just like Sharon referencing yeah. Sharon Tate yeah who was infamously murdered by Charles Manson's goons
3: yeah yeah so he so he's, he's sort of
2: he's in, he's he's saying that she's pregnant. Yeah. And that he's
3: um, and that he's you know, he's basically doing some fucking nasty things to her. Uh, mm-hmm. But while this is happening and and you see a lot of it, this isn't something where it's hiding. You see this scene is very violent, like ridiculously violent. Mm-hmm. And it shows a lot of it. So it do shows an awful you. lot of it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it. But one of the other ladies in the room, Sally, she manages to grab something sharp while Ray's doing some nasty things uh, and stabs him. Um, but this only annoys him even more.
2: Well, I mean, gets... she takes off a huge chunk of his face. Yes. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, which to Ray is, you know, the worst thing that could happen.
2: Like, it was um, worse than for him because he's so vain. It would have been... Better if she had lopped his penis off, probably.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: um,
3: <laughs> so, um, but he gets her to strip, because obviously we know that he's a piece of shit. And during all of this, that everything is going on, he's gone into this house and killed his couple, cut open her stomach, trying to probably get her baby out. He's killing all these other women that he's already captured. He then starts masturbating. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking insane. But then she legs it, and she gets to the door, As the cops come in and Ray shoots her in the back. And then he also shoots one of the cops. But the other detective, who is the detective that obviously has been after Ray for ages, he comes in and he runs, uh, he basically shoots Ray in the leg. uh, while and Ray basically falls. Yeah, Ray falls on the floor screaming. uh, And then uh, obviously he tackles him. And while Ray's on the floor, the detective absolutely batters the shit out of him. And then the closing scene of the film is all of them screaming their absolute faces off. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie.
2: That's, yeah. And that's where it just fades to black. You have no idea if the one that, because you do see Sally, basically, you're not sure if she's going to live or die. She's, I mean, because they could maybe save her if she got to the hospital in time. I mean, there are there's probably an ambulance since all the cops are there because they know what Ray's capable of. So we don't actually know what happens. But it's my understanding that in the novel, there is an epilogue that tells you what happens to everyone post this incident.
3: Right, okay. But
2: the movie was like, let's end it super dark.
3: Yeah, that's it. Let's <laughs> end it, yeah, super dark. No one knows what happens. Uh, you know, race story either continues or ends here. We don't know.
2: I like a dark ending. <laughs> I
3: won't lie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I like a dark ending sometimes. Um, if, as long as it suits the movie. And I think the ending that it gets suits it because the ride that you've been on for
2: most of it so yeah yeah exactly
3: you know it's uh you know this film is a shocking film and when you start watching it you don't think it's going to be the way that it is at all that Um, like
2: opening Uh, sequence where you just you meet the naked girl i'm like oh my god first literally like the first minute of the movie full frontal nudity And then some of the most graphic gun violence I've seen in a horror movie, within the first five minutes, you've got full frontal and like brutal murder first five minutes. What the fuck am I watching?
3: (laughs) And it just and it just continues. You're just continuing, uh, you know, following this piece of shit Ray on his journey, and uh, and it's unpredictable. And I like that about it. I really like the unpredictability unpredictability, uh, of where this film goes. But it also never ceases to shock me where it goes, especially the end scene, which is, I know, a lot of people struggle to get through.
2: Yeah, that whole end scene, I was like, is he going to die, like, suicide by a cop? How is this going to go out? And I didn't know that it would just be, the you know, I didn't see it ending the way it did. But I, for what it was, I think I like the ending to it. Does that make sense? Yeah.
3: Yeah, fits, I, it. It. I do. It's, yeah. yeah, it fits the film. It fits the it film. It does. Um, in regards to before I talk about something that I do do want to talk about, um, I've got facts, but there is pretty much nothing that I can find online about this film uh, apart from the fact that it exists and we can watch it. Um, but but other than that, I can't really find anything. So the only thing that I've got, um, really is that the lost as. You've already said he's based on a Jack Ketchum uh, novel, the same name, which in turn was inspired by the true story of serial killer Charles Schmid, probably pronounced wrong. Uh, who obviously you'll give us a lot more details on later because I know nothing about him. Um,
2: yes, I will. <laughs> the,
3: the, the novel I just referred to took place in the 1960s, whereas the movie takes place, obviously, in present day. Okay, uh, well, can, we,
2: can we pause right here for a second? Because I did want to yeah, bring this up. Yeah. I feel like the movie does not know what decade it wants to be
3: in. Because of what Ray's fucking wearing most of the time.
2: <laughs> well, right, Ray, because, you know, that's... Into- integral to the character, which makes more sense if he's a late, you know, like an early 20s guy in the 60s, Yeah. so it is a little more odd for him if it's supposed to be modern times, and the only like, the only thing that really told me somewhat of how late or early it is, is that there's a portable phone that she talks, or that Ray picks up and talks on in his hotel room, that is his you know, permanent room, because he lives at the hotel that his mom runs, but then there's like the scene where, you know, they pull up at that diner, and it's it's like a sock hop you know the roller skate into the cars it's like sonic except it's even old, more old school than that because it literally has one of those metal trays that you clip onto your window and eat right there yeah. they don't do that yeah. anymore
3: no they don't <laughs> no it's way. like a film it's like it maybe it's like i don't know it just it was like a like they wanted to do it in the '60s, but didn't have the budget. So, so they were like, "Well, let's make it modern day, but make shit look like it's supposed to be the '60s," and then yeah, it messes well, with it's our like, brains.
2: Yeah, they're like, "Well, we can afford to do some '60s things, but we can't like have all '60s cars or anything like that." We're just, you know, we're, we're gonna hodgepodge it.
3: Well, that's. I mean, I don't know if this is still something that happens in America, but um, you know, Katie Cassidy's going around on roller boots delivering you know burgers and stuff i don't know if that's still a real thing but um but there's my knowledge
2: to my knowledge it's very rare so i i had a friend my my lovely friend travis in uh high school he worked at sonic which is i don't know if you guys have that over there but it's an american restaurant that is styled like those 50s drive-in diners um but you just take your food you order it like that but most people don't stay there and eat you just leave like you do at most fast food places but you have the option when you work there like if you happen to own a pair of roller skates and you like roller skating they will let you roll out to people's cars but you by no means have
3: to right okay so it's like optional it's just like if you want to absolutely you know ball it around in these roller boots then yeah sure give it a go Um, Well Travis did
2: Which is why I mentioned him Because he did rollerblade Out to people's cars And I love
3: that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah see I wouldn't be able to do that If anybody would see me On rollerblades They'd think There's something wrong with me
2: Well I think I think he didn't have rollerblades He had like actual roller skates Like you're at a roller rink
3: Oh okay Okay either way I'll end up in (laughs) A&E Um, <laughs> so, uh, for all the only, the only other two I've got is that basically it's not really a fact because you can look it up. Well, it is a fact because it's out there. Um, but for all of you Rotten Tomato score lovers out there, uh, it does sit at 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it does have a high score. Um, it's so fresh. It does- Yes, so it does. If it, it's fresh, so it does have that sort of credibility for people that only watch films that are rated by Rotten Tomatoes. Which is, there's a lot more people that like that out there now. Um,
2: Here's the thing: I agree with them sometimes, and I disagree with them other times. As a yes. film critic myself, you know, like I review movies too, and you know, I think sometimes people who write for more prestigious publications than myself get a little too high on their horse sometimes with their reviews. Like, you know what I mean? People get a little snooty and you got to show things that aren't always, you know, Oscar caliber some love occasionally.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've always had this, this rule and uh, with my, any review that I do um, and I have found this very, very difficult. And this is something that I had to learn to do because unfortunately i am so overly critical of everything i watch because uh you know because of you know the acting and filmmaking side and anything like that as well like my brain is constantly when i watch a film it's like oh the performance is good is the directing good what's the cinematography like how's the score is the editing shit what's the coloring like that's how my brain watch works when i'm watching every single film and i hate it so (laughs) so it sucks because i can't be in a film
2: get that i have the capability at this point just because i do it for a living that i can watch i do i watch every movie twice now right. i will go i will go in with no notes to just purely enjoy it the first time and then when i okay. rewatch, is when i pick it apart
3: that's when your analytical side comes out yes yeah yep. but what this me? what this means frustratingly uh is that yeah i can't just watch a film for it being a film so what i've had to learn to do is with my reviews, is that I used to find it really difficult to do it because I was always trying to compare it to what I thought, say, you know, one of my favourite films ever, like Donnie Darko is my favourite film forever, you know, for example... Uh, and I would say, well, how does it suit up towards Donny Darko? And I'll be like, oh, well, it's nowhere near as good. So, well, that's what just I've a now shit start- way
2: to look at things. <laughs> exactly,
3: exactly. And that's how I looked at it, and I was, and I hated it. So now, what I do is, whenever I watch a film, I purely basic basis uh, the review on the film's merits and how a film is itself. And I've actually learned to enjoy films more that way because now. If I give a film, say, a five-star review, I'm not basing it in saying it's a five-star film and it's one of the greatest films ever made. I'm saying, no, it's a five-star film because of how much I enjoy it.
2: Exactly how it should be.
3: Yeah, but it wasn't like that before because I'm a fucking moron.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, you were just being hard on yourself and everyone else. (laughs) Uh, Oh, just being hard
3: on myself. I was being overly critical. That's it. Well, the only other fact that I've got... Which leads me into something else I do want to talk about. Uh, But Mark Center, um, who is the actor, obviously, who plays Ray, he won uh, the best actor. Uh, awards for from both Screamfest and Fantaspoa I don't even know what that is but that's a film festival apparently um and he was also nominated right okay and he was also nominated he didn't win for a chainsaw award yeah and randomly I do even remember that uh, when it happened because obviously I've been watching and and you know you know, listening and watching the Chainsaw Awards for many years. And I remember that happening. I remember getting pissed off that he didn't win. Do you Um, vote every year? uh, Yeah, so I do. Yeah, I do try and vote every year as much as I can. Uh, I I can't get away from it. I mean, this is, you know, we want our little say. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't win any fucking Oscars, do we? So uh, (laughs) it's nice to have these, uh, you know, these Chainsaw Awards or the Dead Meat Awards that we have now, uh, you know, where we get to put our little votes in and feel like, you know, we matter. (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah right
3: (laughs) so the yeah the only other thing i wanted to talk about uh well i've just spoken a little bit more about mark center um is how ridiculously good his performance is and this is why i kept on mentioning that i thought this was going to be a star making performance because uh this is uh a performance that me and the friend i mentioned earlier we talk about this a lot in fact when i said that i was coming on this show to talk about the loss the first thing he said was oh how good is you know he's his performance in it you know um he is ridiculously good in this film and it's one of those things where even if you don't like the film i mean i hope you agree you might not you think he's you might think he's a big pile of shit but um but (laughs) i I watch this and I am almost in like awe of how good he is every time that I watch it. I can't, you know, I can't believe that he didn't go on to more things after this.
2: I agree. He he did a really amazing job. And I'm actually interested because, like, of course, the characters aren't exactly the same. But as I mentioned earlier, that this um, Charles Schmidt uh, inspired more than one fictional piece. That's, you know, basically a fictionalization of his crimes so I, I'm gonna be interested to watch and like read some of those um to yeah. get more of a picture of um you know like who's the best Charles Schmidt essentially. Cause Ray Pye yeah. is Charles Schmidt basically.
3: Yeah. Yeah, basically. And it, and it's weird as well because his performance there's there's three people that he reminds me of in regards to like characters and acting style. And I I'd be interested to see if you could see it as well. Or okay. I, once again I might be talking shit. Um Sorry, but for, for one, the obvious one is Patrick Bateman, who there's reminiscence of. Um and a lot of that is through obviously you know, him being a psycho and his um arrogance. He does kind,
2: kind of the have first one for me. he does kind of have that manic energy that Christian Bale has playing um Patrick Bateman. I could see that for
3: sure. So the other one is Jared Leto. Um, I feel that this is like one of those sort of roles that Jared Leto would love to have, but then would absolutely crucify it.
2: Here's the thing. But <laughs> I know, I know we literally every time you're on one of my podcasts, we end up talking about yeah. Jared Leto for some reason. We both have strong yeah, feelings Bouchemag. about the man. Yes, because <laughs> we've both met him <laughs> and he's not the greatest.
3: <laughs> no, he's, he's yeah.
2: He's kind of an asshole, but um, yeah. I, I I will say that his acting is hit and miss.
3: Yeah, we we've we've both agreed on on my show when you've come on mine and your show that we you know there's a different we we appreciate there's actual real talent there with Jared Leto. Like I think I genuinely think he's a very good actor. There are some things where he tries too hard and misses completely, and then there's sometimes where. I, he's very good. um he There is pure and, talent.
2: Absolutely, he was amazing in Dallas Buyers Club as yeah, a trans absolutely. woman with loads. AIDS.
3: And I think he's very good in Chapter Twenty Seven, which I mentioned earlier, which is a film uh, where he plays uh, the killer of John Lennon. Where he put on loads of weight, and he's fantastic in that movie. Jared Leto was a very good actor, but you know he's, he's amazing
2: in Requiem for a Dream, which is one of my yeah amazing.
3: Films. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he's a douchebag in real life.
2: I was just gonna say a highlight of his like extreme misses would obviously be Suicide Club. I mean Suicide Squad. Well, yes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolute shite. Yeah, that's that's the example of where he tries too hard.
2: Yeah, he like, and I mean, I don't know. There's some weird stuff going on in his personal life. He like, low key has a cult now. Anyway.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he thinks he's Jesus.
2: Sort of, sort of. <laughs>
3: yeah, but yeah, so there's there's little bits in it that remind me of Jared Leto. Um, but the weirdest one uh, is Crispin Glover.
2: I can see that.
3: Yeah, there's loads of bits in it. Uh, that Like maybe like... like
2: some some Wilfred echoes.
3: Yeah, Wilfred? that's what it is. It's like the Wilfred sort of stuff, which is... Uh, no, so not Wilfred, sorry, Willard. Willard.
2: Uh, see, I was Willard, thinking is... of the show Wil- Wilfred. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, too?
3: that's it. But Willard... Uh, yeah, Willard. I absolutely love. And Crispin Glover is a huge... Um, inspiration to me in regards to my acting side i love Crispin glover I, I i just i there's something about him and and yeah so there's scenes in this with mark center the way that he plays him or i don't know whether it's the way that he looks or whether it's the the mannerisms but he just reminds me of Crispin glover sometimes
2: he does definitely have he does definitely have that that vibe down really well yeah. like that yeah. that whole cockier the now and the look is perfect for that greaser. You yeah, know,
3: absolutely. Rebel but without yeah. a pause
2: thing he's got going on.
3: Yeah, Um, but yeah. Once again, as I said, I I was really really shocked, really surprised, and still am that he didn't go on to two things after this because this is for me, you know this this is a this is a really good film and it is a film that has always always stuck with me and the things that do stick with you for a lot of people are always going to be the fact that this film goes really fucked up and more like I've mentioned, it goes way more fucked up than what you think it's going to be. And then when you think it's going to be fucked up, it goes even more fucked up than what you think it's going to be. And it's just, it's a messed up movie in some points and it has that impact. But the thing is never really out, sure
2: where the line is.
3: No, there is that's it with this film. There is no line. So yeah. if you haven't seen this film, prepare yourself that you're like you're watching it some minutes and you're like oh okay you know this is just going to plod along nicely It, it then then you'll get bits and you'll be like well hang on that's fucked up and that will continue to happen but it will escalate throughout the film until you get to the ending scene which is one of the most fucked up scenes i've ever seen because of how real it feels you know the violence in this film like you've already mentioned, like the like you know near the start in the first five minutes of the shooting, it feels very very real. You know, a lot of the other film might feel not so real, and the characters might feel like you know out of place sometimes. But the violence is about as real as you'll get.
2: Yeah, the violence is good.
3: Um, but I always always talk about how good Mark Center is in this. So uh, if if he ever listens to this podcast, which obviously he will um and i'll also, make sure
2: hollywood call this man
3: exactly this is what i'm saying he will listen to this and one he'll be like thanks guys but but
2: i mean hollywood, here's the thing he's not super famous and i'm not afraid to reach out to his publicist
3: well listen look i'm not <laughs> i'm not bragging at anything but he has already liked one of my posts before so we're sort of on you know a basis of you know the next bit will be a full-on <laughs> conversation. So let's just say that me and him, you know, are pretty close now. Um, and... He and Mark uh,
2: are like best friends.
3: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he listened to this and, you know, we all probably get, you know, a DM. and he would be like, thanks, guys. Um, but also, you know... Hollywood as you say should be taking notice because I mean it's not as if he's going to forget how to act well I would hope not I I just I I cannot stress enough that even if you watch this film and don't necessarily like the events that happen in it or you don't even potentially like the film that much you will not forget his performance because I haven't I just I genuinely think he just a fuck up from Hollywood's part that he didn't go on and do more Either that, or he's he he fucked it up himself. I don't know.
2: I don't know, but I'm gonna be on the lookout for him for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, that's 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 the movie. Um, go and see it.
2: In America, it's streaming free on Tubi.
3: And in the UK, you can't fucking get it. Um, <laughs> simple as that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so we're gonna take a short break, and when we return, I'm gonna tell you what's real about this movie that Charles Schmidt actually did. And give you more, you know, fact and less fiction.
3: Can't wait.
2: And we're back. And now I am going to get into the real Charles Schmidt, which, you know.
3: That sounds like a movie title already, doesn't the, it?
2: The real Charles Schmidt. It does. Or like uh, a,
3: or a Netflix, you know, true crime doc.
2: Oh, yeah. It also sounds like that. And then, it, then like it would have a colon after it and be like,
3: confessions of a killer yeah, the confession tapes
2: <laughs> yeah exactly that's literally already a serial killer series so
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. nice all right so i will be happy to tell you that there is actually well maybe not happy happy might be a weird word but um rape High has a lot in common with uh, charles schmidt like there's a lot of truths in there It's not all true, obviously. There's a little bit of creative license, but he does borrow fairly heavily from the actual Charles Uh, Schmidt. So let's get into it. So, hold please. (laughs) So Charles Howard Schmidt, also known as the Pied Piper of Tucson, was an American serial killer who committed his crimes in Tucson, Arizona, America, in the 1960s now schmidt was known for his flamboyant silent eccentric behavior he often dressed in outrageous outfits and wore pancake makeup usually with a mole or beauty mark drawn on that part is very true he also stuffed his boots with newspapers and crushed cans to make himself taller also real
3: (laughs) also true to the film
2: yes uh in his real life he explained a way Cause he doesn't. Nobody really asks him about it in the movie, which I wish they would have. <laughs> yeah. But to explain to people why he has this abnormal gait about him, because he doesn't want anyone to know that he stuffs crushed cans into his boots, obviously. He tells them that he got into a fight with mobsters, and that <laughs> and that he has this limp now because as a result. Right. Okay. So you know he had a habit of exaggerating his accomplishments and telling tall tales. Um. So he was born. To an unwed mother and quickly adopted, literally the day after he was born, by Charles and Catherine Schmid, who owned and operated Hillcrest Nursing Home in Tucson, Arizona. So his family is wealthy in real life, um, and they own a nursing home instead of a run-down motel. Right. And if anyone who has ever worked in a nursing home or has had to put someone in a nursing home... You know that it's expensive, so running a nursing home is uh, lucrative, is what I'm getting at.
3: All the bare peas, basically. In the UK, that means shitloads of money.
2: Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) exactly yes it is yeah it's 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 lucrative you you make a a killing doing that especially if it's more upscale and not just like you've shoved people in rooms i mean i guess you probably could just make tons of money doing that too but it's super exploitive but anyway i'm not going to go off on a nursing home rant (laughs)
3: because i (laughs) could for another time
2: that's for another time um so but he has a troubled upbringing. He has a difficult relationship with his adoptive father. They get into fights all the time. They just don't see eye to eye and don't really have anything in common. His mother, on the other hand, I wouldn't say that they had a ton in common either, but his mother was very protective of him. You know, that's her little golden boy. He can do no wrong. Um which is not something that happens in the movie. She doesn't seem to pay him much mind. Like she makes no. sure that he works at the hotel and like unclogs toilets, and that's our only interaction with her in the film. Which
3: he seems absolutely fucking happy about. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> He's happy to clean a shitter.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He did take a certain amount of weird pride to his job, didn't he? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Just
2: marching on with a pl- plunger. Anyway, <laughs> back to the real life um so they end up getting divorced the father and his mother which makes them even more of a mama's boy because she, you know he doesn't she doesn't have anyone else to refer to that is her family member now is him that's what she's got so um clearly in the divorce she i don't know if she if it was like her family that the wealth generated from but there's still a lot of wealth in the family she or maybe she just made a killing after the divorce i don't know but they're still very well off in fact um, he actually had like a really hard time in school, not a good student, but was popular, well-liked, and uh, actually excelled at sports, specifically gymnastics, because he's a short dude. You need to be smaller in gymnastics. If you have Yeah, you ever watched and I was going to
3: say, because straight away, I just imagined him wearing cowboy boots with these tin cans. And I was like, imagine doing some cartwheels in them like it's not going to go very well.
2: That's how you break an ankle, I'm pretty sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, either that way it's like a trick of the trade.
2: Maybe. I mean, obviously, I imagine, you know, I, I like to think that he didn't start putting the cans in his shoes and everything until he skipped out on high school. I think he was still yeah. sort of trying when he was in high school. <laughs>
3: I don't know. I sort of like, you know, I sort of wish there was like, you know, footage of him, like, you know, uh, you know, getting his first pair of cowboy boots as like a baby, and (laughs) hands in them, you know, like a double R baby. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, apparently he was, like, you know, still kind of intolerable, but, you know, still kind of tried. Like, he led his gym, his school gymnast, gymnastics team to state finals and oh, won, like, away. athletic awards. Yeah, he was really good at it. Um, but he just kind of lost interest in it at some point. Like, his senior year, he just, like, didn't do it anymore. And then he started being more of a delinquent, and that's when he stole some power tools and got suspended. And, I mean, this was, like, a week before he was set to graduate. And his stupid ass just never went back. (laughs) So he didn't graduate high school. What a loser. Oh, my God. So, um, after that, he began living in his own, like, little house on his parents' property. Because, like I said, they're still pretty well off. And this is where it gets crazy, because... He is given an allowance to just do whatever per month. He's given $300 a month. No Oh, it's worse than that. Uh, because it's 1964. So
3: that's a, like, that's a ridiculous amount of money.
2: This man's getting paid nearly $3,000 a month from his mother to just do Jesus. whatever, right? That's insane. That's Wow, they were like really well off, and his parents bought him a new car and a motorcycle like spoiled, rotten, rich
3: boy. Yeah, spoiled little rich boy. And 100%. Uh, you know, look how it turns out.
2: It turns out, oh, not good. No, <laughs> maybe, maybe don't spare the rod and spoil the child.
3: <laughs> no, but don't, don't hit your kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't hate kids, we don't condone that.
2: Don't do that. Um, so oh god, all right, so. His nickname was Smitty. That's what people called him.
3: Common nickname.
2: It is. Especially if your last name's like Smith or Schmidt or something like that. Smitty happens a lot.
3: It's nothing original.
2: No, it's like the people who call me Anna Banana. Wow, you thought of a word that rhymes with my name. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Because, believe me, I've heard that one about a thousand times.
3: I've Hmm. never had any nicknames. No? Apart from Dickhead or Twatface or, you know. But that's just people getting angry with me.
2: (laughs) Uh, <laughs> you know, that's I mean, just people
3: in bars having fights and stuff. But, sure, uh, I mean,
2: I mean, in my experience, siblings will lovingly call each other that. Yeah. Hey, dickface, bring me a water <laughs> from the fridge.
3: One of the common ones over here that I love is fucknut. That's a good one.
2: Oh, I do love fucknut. That's a good one. Yeah,
3: fucknut's a good one.
2: Okay, so anyway, let's get back to this.
3: <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: uh He was, you know, like I said, he was kind of an odd duck. But because he's so charismatic, you know, girls, and he's he's not bad looking. He's not. I mean, he does some weird stuff that, when you look at it, it's like, why did you do that to your face? You looked fine. <laughs> why are you putting all this weird makeup on and like a prosthetic nose? And what, what are you so doing? Are,
3: are, are we saying that Mark Center was a better looking version?
2: Um. I would say they're both about the same level of good looking. Okay. Because, like, as far as serial killers go, he's on the better-looking side. Like, he's more attractive right, okay. than Ted Bundy.
3: It sounds so bad when we say it like that, innit? I know.
2: Look, just Google him, guys, and you can judge for yourself. But objectively speaking... do it speaking, yourself.
3: Objective... Stop being... <laughs> everybody, everybody stop being fucking creeps and stop asking if serial killers are fucking sexy or not. No, none of them are, because of the things that they do. Now, stop it. Yes,
2: yes. <laughs> but objectively speaking, if but... you Google him, based on looks alone... That would be considered classically handsome. Those, like, all-American
3: boy good looks. If he wasn't a nasty man, he'd be quite handsome.
2: Yes. He would be decent looking, yes. I have weird taste in men, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here to recognize that, well, a lot of people would find him attractive. I don't necessarily, but I I recognize what's going on there. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so um he would also like wear a lot of chapstick to like make his lips shiny. Weird like shit Napoleon
3: like. Dynamite.
2: Kinda. <laughs> gosh um, Gosh. Uh, did- Okay, fun fact, my school in high school, like right after that movie came out, by the way. That movie came out when I was in high school, and literally the next year, we decided, let's put on a play version of that. That won't be terrible at all. It was.
3: It was, <laughs> and it was I'll, bet, I'll bet it was glorious.
2: It wasn't. My, one of my dear friends was in it, and he will tell you that it was not the greatest experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so... <sighs> Another thing that he would do that was really weird is he would, like, try to use the chapstick to the point where he put so much on that it would make his lips, like, appear bigger. And he also used to stretch his bottom lip out with a clothespin so that he would look more like Elvis Presley.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got the tricks of the trade.
2: Yeah, he's doing some weird... Okay, you know what? This man has, like, body dysmorphia, honestly. He doesn't like <laughs> the way he looks. And he's trying to morph himself into something he's not. <laughs> it's a problem. Like it's like, look, I'm not a, a psychiatrist or, or anything, but like this man had some, some issues, some severe issues. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So he would also constantly be like chewing on a, like a toothpick or something to like, you know,
3: all the cool kids and all that.
2: Yeah, he's trying to make himself look like a greaser all the time and be this, you know, thing that he's just not. He's yeah. And then if anyone asks him, like, "Where do you wear makeup?" and this is exactly what they did in the movie too, he'd be like, "Oh, I'm in a band." Like that makes yeah. up for it. No, I mean like nowadays, after like wearing rock make makeup and rock and roll just really do go hand in hand. But back then, that was a little stranger, you know. David yeah. Bowie didn't wasn't famous yet.
3: <laughs> no. No, like, Mark Bolan.
2: Yeah, we didn't we didn't have that yet. So, anyway, his best friend was Paul Graff, who was sent to the reformatory at Grant Smith, or no, Grant at Fort Grant Industrial School for a holdup where a man ended up dying. So one of his best friends gets sent away for an accidental death during a robbery. That's unfortunate. Um, but Paul eventually uh, when he gets out of there, he eventually ends up moving in with Smitty. Now, during this time, they actually did try to start to sort of get a band together. They, like, took, like, one of them took singing lessons, and they started practicing the guitar. And then they got some some girls, you know, because they were always girls around fawning over them. And, you know, so they just got this kind of weird thing going on. They're trying to be cooler than cool, you know? But they're just kind of losers, <laughs> if, we're, if we're being honest. Poses. Yeah, but they think they're hot shit. And unfortunately, a lot of these impressionable teenagers think they're cool. Kids, I just if you're, you know, in high school right now and you don't know this, I just want you to know that if there's some adult who's in their twenties or thirties or forties, whoever, whoever, whoever old, and they're hanging out with a bunch of teenagers. Run! That is not Say someone. No. Yeah, that is not someone you need to be hanging out with. That person is a problem, and they're going to eventually do something not good. Because no yeah. uh, outstanding, upstandable citizen has thwarts of teenagers in their basement drinking.
3: Uh, only only fucking mental people.
2: Yeah, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Drink with people your own age
3: and responsibly
2: and responsibly
3: and don't hit kids and
2: don't hit kids all those things <laughs> we're <laughs> learning a lot of things today
3: anyway yeah
2: so smitty so befriends another graduate from uh, fort grant named richie burns and he'd been arrested after breaking probation for some other thing which i'm pretty sure was like a string of petty thefts and uh Together, the three of them were the three amigos, you know? They hung out a lot, did delinquent stupid shit, and just, you know, were, air quotes, cool. Now, when Spiddy was around 21, he found out that he was adopted. He didn't know this until this point. And, um... He went and found his real mother. Now, this is a fucked up thing, but when she opened the door and he explained who he was, she goes, Look, I didn't want you then, and I don't want you now. Get the fuck out. Lovely woman.
3: And, and this is where it all starts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, like, that's the ultimate rejection. Yeah. Your birth mother doesn't love you, never wanted you, will never love you, but you, you are still Rich Mommy's boy. So, it's like, just go back to her and, like, get therapy, bro. But no, it's never enough. No, and that's not what happens. And this guy is addicted to attention. He needs to be the center of attention. He needs to have impressionable minds worshipping him. That's what this man craves. Now, he would get a lot of people to come hang out with him, and specifically women, like young teens, by telling them stories that, you know, he had a form of cancer, and that he didn't have long to live, or that, uh, You know, he was on leave from the army. He would just make up shit a lot to get people to
3: sleep with him. Basically being a real son of a bitch. He's an asshole.
2: I mean, but we've established this, I feel like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, girls were objects to him that he could take down from the shelf, play with, and then put away. You know, like, and, you know, toss to the side of the road when he's done, essentially um so yeah it's 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 not great so he once even told a girl you know just some girl that he had only gone on like one date with that he had murdered someone in the desert and uh she's like no you didn't and at this point he hadn't actually murdered anyone so (laughs) but yeah so he would already like be lying and be like yeah i've killed someone you know he just tries to sound tough and then he actually does become violent Um, So he was already fantasizing about these things, clearly. Um, But he was very free. He would just devil-may-care, do whatever he wanted, roll around. You know, he didn't have a job because his mom gives him an exorbitant amount of money. So he just, like, does whatever the fuck he wants all day long. And, you know, as they say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he decides, you know, his only passion right now is to make music uh, and to try to get laid pretty much. Um, But then then he meets he. he, Okay, so let's just talk. Okay, the murders are happening. The murders are about to happen. (laughs) So let's talk about Aline Rowe. That was his first victim. She was 15 um, on the night of May 31st, 1964, which would be her last day on Earth. She was a sophomore at Palo Verde, and she had unfortunately become friends with Charles' then-girlfriend, Mary French. Um, And Aline's mother had just gotten divorced and they had just moved to Tucson like the previous year. So they're still fairly new in town. Um, One of her favorite things to do was to like, go and walk in the desert and catch uh, things and look at unusual stones. She likes nature a lot. And she was just Schmidt's type. She was blonde and blue-eyed, which that's, like, boom, what he wanted. But also, like, also how unoriginal? Because, like, lots of guys love blonde, blue-eyed girls. Yeah. Anyway, so one afternoon, he told Mary French uh, to try to get Aline to go come hang out with them and their other friend, John. Aline's like, nah, I'm good. But Schmidt was like, um... You cannot say no to me. Sort of like that yeah. scene where he's like, who do you think you are in the movie? Yeah,
3: in the car, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just like that. Like, you you cannot refuse him. So, this goes on for a while. And she continues to refuse him. Like, she's probably refused him around this point a dozen times. Like, the guy doesn't know how to give up. And each time he gets a little more angry. Um... So at some point, he's like, I've been thinking about killing someone. I want to kill a girl. I just want to find out what it would be like to snuff the life out of someone. Like, this guy's yeah, going but, directly yeah, like, to the dark
3: like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know he's, he's, you know, he's not a normal person.
2: No, not at all. Uh, and then rather than trying to talk him out of it, Mary is simply like, she doesn't want to go. Let's just go. Let's not No. You know, she like doesn't protest enough. And then Aline finally agrees to go out with him. And she says, you know, I'll be... It'll have to be a night that my mom's at work. Like, my mom will never let me go out with you. Like, you've got a reputation. So the mom goes to work and... They go to pick her up, and they come with a truck and a shovel. Like, they're already, like, he's already planned to kill her. Right. Mm-hmm. So she comes out, and they kidnap her. Well, I mean, she comes willingly at first. But she's, like, only wearing, but she's, like, not expecting anything serious to go down. She's literally wearing, like, flip-flops, a bathing suit, and has curlers in her hair. Okay. So, yeah, so, like, she's not thinking it's anything too serious, um... She gets in the back. Mary and Smitty are up front. I think Mary's driving, and she's in the back next to John. And they drive out to the desert, which, you know, Mary's fine with. She likes taking walks in the desert, and it's cooler at night, so whatever. And, you know, Smitty likes to take people out here to, like, fool around and drink and stuff. So, whatever. It's isolated. So they get there. And they kind of walk around for a little while and and talk. And at some point, Smitty is like, Hey, Mary, will you go back to the car and get the radio out of the car? And because uh, they had like a transistor radio. So she goes to get the radio. And then they find that John's been raping her in, in the back car. And uh, Smitty told Mary... To go and get in the car and oh goodness, lost my place. Two seconds. So, okay, anyway, back to this. So, um, John has his hand over her mouth so she can't make too much noise, even though they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And then they lie to her and tell her that this is Mary's fault. Mary wanted this. This isn't them, what they want. Mary hates you. She wants this to happen to you. Um. So that's messed up. So he instructs... Basically, they're
3: fucking pieces of shit.
2: They're awful pieces of shit. Um, so, actually, I'm pretty sure it's Smitty the ones who, who rapes her. Because then John, he basically... Because Smitty rapes her. I'm sorry. Smitty rapes her. And then he tells John... To basically finish her off. But John can't. He literally cannot sustain an erection. So maybe this isn't so fun to him. But he's still semi-a willing participant, I guess you could say. Um, And then he tries to tell John to kill her, but John is like, I can't, you know... So he picks up a rock and bashes her head in, and then the three of them go and bury her body. Well, no, just just Smitty and I'm sorry, just Smitty and John go and bury her. Mary sits in the car because she didn't want to be privy to that. Um, but like when he gets back in the car, he looks at her and he literally says to her, "We killed her." And then pauses and adds, I love you very much.
3: So and then- basically, basically, he's just trying to, you know, to, to win her over in a way and, and you know, do, a, a, you know, a bit like in the movie. Where, um, you know, she's sort of under his will, his power, so to speak, because of him, um, you know, fake, you know, being fake and, and, you know, confessing his love for for her. But he doesn't mean it. We know that he doesn't mean it. And
2: uh, she's, you know, she's along on the ride. Yeah, exactly. So (sighs) the next day, Norma Rowe, Aline's mother, contacts the police because she can't find her daughter. She was a night nurse, um, like I said. That's why she was gone. So she's, like, immediately, like, my daughter's gone. She didn't take her purse. Um, she seems to have only taken her bathing suit because all her other clothes is, clothes are basically here. Um, you know, so she's freaked out. And then she thinks she also has some delusions. She tells <laughs> she tells the, uh, the cops that there's some sex club at the high school. <laughs> and she's like, what are these... What of these people have kidnapped my daughter? That's not exactly what was going on, you know. There's just some roncous teens just doing teen stuff. I wouldn't call it a sex club. That's a little exaggerative, but you know, whatever. So <clears throat> as what happens when your friends are um, you know, high schoolers perpetually. You know, Charles is a lot like Matthew McConaughey's character in Days and Confused. In the, sense, right. in the sense that, you know, that's what's great about these high schoolers. I get older, but they stay the
3: same age.
2: <laughs> he likes them just at that all right, age. Right, all
3: right,
2: all right, all right, all right. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, John has, he's moved on. He's joined the Navy. And um, so now he only has Richie. And Paul's also gone. Paul was basically made to go live. Because of some other arrest or something, he was like, I think he was sent back to visit. I don't know. He had to go. He had to go somewhere else. I don't remember exactly where he went. Not super important, right, at this moment. Um, but anyway, so that left him with, you know, trying to find new Hagarons, <laughs> new people to love him. Um, yeah. So Richie told Smitty everything. You know, they were very close, thick as thieves. He even started beginning to imitate Smitty's clothing and the way he dressed and stuff you know they were well, they were almost like brothers apparently all four girls that he had dated broke up with him because he was pretty socially inept. she was fine looking enough like to get girls but then once he had them he didn't know what to do with them <laughs> so he would get broken up with fairly quickly because he was just not the ladies man um, but he tried. He tried to emulate Smitty a lot. He even is the one who told Richie about Allie and Roe. You know, Richie didn't actually believe him because Richie wasn't there for that incident. You know, so he's he's like, I don't know if he really killed anybody. Yeah, uh, yeah he doesn't quite believe him. So in July of 1964, Smitty became Smit 10 <laughs> with a six <laughs> couldn't resist with a 16 year old girl at a swimming pool. Near the speedway, she was blonde and thin, just like he liked. and her name was Gretchen Fritz. Other boys told Smitty what, that she, name? Uh, yes, Gretchen Fritz. Some of the boys told Smitty that she was trouble for anyone who got involved with her, but that only made him more interested in
3: her. What a surprise?
2: Mm-hmm, of course, he's a bad boy. he wants a bad girl. <laughs> so the day he first saw her, he followed her to her home. So he's already stalking her. Dope.
3: Already a fucking creep.
2: (laughs) Yep. And he saw that she lived in an upper-class neighborhood and in what he thought was a mansion. So, like, they're more rich than him. Also cha-ching for him. So uh, he finds out that her father is a doctor. He's a heart and chest specialist, so he's, like, a cardiologist. And he's a board member of the local union bank. So they are a little above him in class, if they're, you know, in class-wise. Yeah, they're pretty
3: much like Scrooge McDuckin, you know, when he swims through all the coins.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I don't know if it's that crazy, but they're (laughs) richer than him. Put it that way. And I mean, he's not doing too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Gretchen, we find out, is the misfit of her family. She's scorned for, you know, being a boy crazy, I guess is the term. And she also once told a friend that she admired sex workers for their ability to charge boys for what boys expected to be free. She was kind of forward thinking for, for the time period. You know what I mean? Had an yeah. o- entrepreneurial spirit about her sexuality. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah she she you know she might have wanted to be a, a female pimp
2: maybe she could have, i believe that's called a madam Ooh. yeah that's what they call female pimps madams oh, sweet Mm-hmm. so one teacher referred to gretchen as a psychopathic liar this was the headmaster at her private school and recommended that she needed psychiatric treatment before suspending her and a friend noted that she seemed psychotically jealous she often cut classes to cruise the speedway and was suspected in some minor crimes. So it sounds like the character it's of a real Pe- bad girl. Yeah, it sounds like they want in the movie, they wanted the character of Catherine to kind of be Gretchen, but they did. I feel like they didn't make her interesting
3: enough. No, no, that's why, like, every time I sort of mentioned her or every time I watch this film, I'm like, I could skip these bits.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right? You're like, uh, snooze, you're not that interesting. You're just another one of (laughs) Ray's playthings, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So, Smitty ended up meeting her by going over to her house with loads of pots and pans as if he were a traveling salesman. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. He's real smooth, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So after after he plays this whole act out and pretends to be the salesman, he's like, I'm not a salesman. I just wanted to meet you. <laughs> at
1: Fools
2: least he, Yeah, at least he admitted it. She just kind of laughs and then is like, well, you want a drink? And he's like, really? <laughs> kind of like in the movie when she's like do you want to just fuck me yeah are you serious
3: (laughs) yeah yeah he's like serious but i only only know dolphin style
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that was amazing (laughs) uh thus this uh fatal attraction between the two was born them as they got to know each other gretchen told smitty that uh she was with child at some point and her family did not love her and that she also told him that her brother-in-law was involved in the mafia okay i think these guys they both might be liars at this point Yeah. So they bang and Gretchen assumed Smitty would just get up and leave. You've got what you wanted, you're you're gonna leave, right? That's what she expected.
3: Yeah, you you've dolphined me.
2: Yeah. But no, instead he goes, I love you. Which is really? arguably a way bigger red flag. Yeah. If you fuck someone like, one or two times, barely know them, and then they say I love you, run for the hills, man.
3: Yeah, yeah. Love don't come easily. No, it doesn't.
2: So, they start hanging out as a couple, though, because for some reason, this doesn't scare the shit out of her. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Smitty had also, remember, he was also kind of dating Mary which is basically uh, Jennifer in the movie. So he he had given Mary. He had actually already given Mary an engagement ring. And another girl named Darlene Kirk. Both cheap ones, like in the movie. (laughs) So he had made this false... He had never intended to marry either one of them. Also, like, in the movie, you know, he's just a checkass trying to string he just, along.
3: He just wanted to keep them.
2: Yeah, you know, he just, yeah. He just wanted to keep them on reserve. Darlene eventually gave the ring back, and then Richie got interested in her, so he starts kind of, like, hanging around a lot. But Gretchen and Smitty are still on. Uh, they would fight a lot, usually, about other girls, because he continually had a wandering eye. and Just one she, of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she didn't get along with Richie at all. She kind of hated him. Um so they would they would fight. And eventually Smitty's like eh, I'm just going to break up with him. And he tried to, but she was Not letting go, to be honest. So Richie asked him why he was letting, you know, why he was letting Gretchen get to him when no one ever had really gotten to him before. And he admitted that she also knew about the murders, just like he told Catherine in the movie. Right, okay. Like, you know, he's like, I love you. I murdered someone. He doesn't know how to keep a secret, man. (laughs) No. keep your mouth shut dude that's like yeah
3: it's like like going down to like a like a the local like supermarket and like seeing like a cashier behind the counter and being like you know oh she's really nice and then she's just like uh you know she she you know packages the food for him maybe you know puts it all in the bag and then he's just so you know so happy about it he's just like oh i love you and i kill people
2: i mean it's it's not too different i mean he didn't (laughs) i mean he You know there isn't a fucking in the in between there, but but yeah, you know it's it's.
3: Yeah, well you would hope not, because otherwise (laughs) there'd be a clean up on aisle four.
2: Oh god!
3: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's dolphin.
2: (laughs) Oh goodness! Anyway, Gretchen ends up hearing about uh, one of his engagements, and she fucking freaks out on him. She also stole his diary that, uh, by the way, had a description of killing a 16-year-old boy and burying him in the desert, which they've never proven. But it seems like, given that he had buried other people in the desert, that it could be very much true. Still no evidence to back it up, though. Anyway, so she's been holding this over his head, and he does not like that she's holding two murders over his head, basically. He's, like, not loving it. So he's thinking, maybe... I should kill her. She's become a liability. Yeah, he jumps around with
3: Richie. Mugged himself over.
2: Oh yeah, like if you've killed someone, probably don't tell anybody.
3: Yeah, just don't care. don't tell anyone.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you want to get away with it, don't tell anyone. I'm not trying to give killers ideas, but come on, guys.
3: <laughs> Rule number one. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's like rule number one of Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club.
3: <laughs> Jesus!
2: So, <laughs> so he thinks about all these ways that he could kill her, and he's like, hey, what if we threw acid in our face? Like, bro, no! That's a terrible that's way... That's fucking to- horrible! That's a, did you know that's, a, that's an actual thing that happens a lot? Um, what? Oh, yeah. Like, I think, I, I feel like it happens in um, India a fair amount. Yeah. Not... I mean,
3: we have had, we did have like a spout of that over in the UK where um, there was like acid attacks and stuff like that. But it's uh, so
2: crazy. Like, because it doesn't kill you. It's a horrible,
3: you. horrible thing.
2: Yeah. It doesn't necessarily kill you. Um, You could just be severely disfigured for the rest of your life awesome
3: yeah, uh, just just nasty people
2: yeah it's terrible um there's a documentary called strange love about the this weird love story between this woman and a man who honestly has stalker-esque behavior kind of like this and when they break up he ends up attacking her he acid attacks her and the strange ride of it is i don't know if it's stockholm syndrome but they end up getting married eventually
3: me. what it's the f- a- what the fuck is wrong with this world
2: I, I don't know. It's a wild story. You can find that documentary online. I don't know. You'd have to Google for it, but you can find it somewhere pretty easily. You I know think.
3: what? Sometimes, sometimes I struggle with my brain. My brain just is in disbelief at the we- this world sometimes.
2: I know. It's wild. <laughs> it really is. So Gretchen confronts Smitty. She's furious. She, you know, confronts them, and they have a big fight. And then she goes out of town with her parents. And, you know, that she feels that he's, you know, he's had some, you know, he throws some wild parties. He's not, doesn't have her breathing down his neck, holding this over his head. So he's like loosens up a bit. And then Gretchen shows up, like during one of these last wild parties. And she just is full throttle yelling at him. And then Mary French is over there also pissed because she's still in love with him. And demanded that he marry her and make Gosh, her... It's
3: like Dawson's Creek.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I need a father for my baby. And it's a whole mess. And then Gretchen's like, I'm pregnant. And I'm having Smitty's baby. Like, ladies, he is not worth it. So, yeah. Um, she insists to Smitty that they run away and elope. And he was like, no. And then she <laughs> leaves angrily. And uh, on the evening of August sixteenth, nineteen sixty-five, she left her house around seven thirty with her little sister Wendy to go see the Elvis Presley film "Tickle Me." And now, Elvis
3: did a film called "Tickle Me." He
2: did, and I'm now envisioning an Elvis doll similar to the Tickle Me Elmo.
3: <laughs> and then, when he gets tickled too much, he goes, Don't very much."
2: Or no, I'm all sugar.
3: <laughs> I'm all sugar. I'm all tickled up. <laughs>
2: Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> mm. so they never return home. And Dr. Fritz, their father, hires a private detective named William Helig, who finds Gretchen's red and white Pontiac Le Mans parked behind the Flamingo Hotel near the interstate. There were traces of gravel and mud on the floor of the back seats, and 60 extra miles showed on the speedometer than what should have for her reported comings and goings, and the uh, transmission—not the transmission, but something had been disconnected so that the car no longer ran. Um, Gretchen's purse was also in the car, along with $20 ticket stubs from the movie. So they did make it to the movie. Uh, her car keys are also in there, along with one of Smitty's business cards from a failed upholstery startup that he tried to get going a year prior. Yeah. Uh, However, no one had seen the car being parked, and so no one knew who dropped the car off, because whoever dropped the car off is at least in on what's happened to them. So Gretchen and Wendy, had been, like I said, had been seen at the movies, specifically the Cactus Drive-In, and a friend had told Gretchen that Schmitty was throwing a party. So ostensibly, she probably showed up to the party, maybe, and then things escalated from there. Now, the police had received a report of two girls who fit the description of the Missing Sisters hitchhiking uh, on the road to Nogales. They were picked up in a car heading towards Mexico, and in Mexico, several people swore the girls had boarded a bus bound for Hermosillo. But this could all just be, you know, one of the worst things about eyewitness testimonies is how unreliable they can be and a lot of people if they hear someone's missing and that the news is you know coming up with it a lot of people will be like I'll say that I saw her just so they can like get attention.
3: I mean look at the history that we've had of this you know throughout uh, you know the serial killers and and, you know everything that's been documented and stuff and the the amount of calls and everything that the police would have to take to try and follow leads and they ended up going nowhere purely because people were like making shit up all the time.
2: Yeah a hundred percent. And so, you know, this massive search through Mexico and all like the all the tourist towns starts, and it just turns up nothing. Finally, the police they just sort of give up and list them as runaways, and their their the trail runs cold. And Richie believed that was the most likely scenario, <laughs> until Smitty's like, "No, nah, I killed."
3: So he killed Gretchen and her little sister
2: Because her little sister was with her If her little sister wasn't with her She'd probably still be alive,
3: unfortunately What a nasty person, eh?
2: Awful So Richie and Smitty, after this Were questioned relentlessly by the private investigator He knew that Schmid knew more than he was letting on But, you know, he was a tough nut to crack You know, he was spilling his guts all over town To no one that could arrest him (laughs) <laughs> like it's a little clammy when the cops pick him up. Imagine, uh, but you know he's being evasive. Obviously, um, Smitty had told Richie that the girls had driven off in Gretchen's car to run away, and Richie had se- and Richie said that he had seen the car drive by his house around midnight on the night that they disappeared. He'd given it no more thought, glad to have Gretchen gone until he dropped over to Smitty's, and Smitty calmly mentioned that he that he supposed that Richie knew it what happened to Gretchen, but Richie, you know, like I said, didn't, and then that's when he spills the whole thing to him smitty's like you know i killed both of them right there in his house where they were sitting there was not this was not the first time that richie had heard such a thing from his buddy. smitty had once talked about killing eileen rowe with john saunders and richie had not really believed that story like i said earlier but now he's kind of like starting to realize this guy's like not just not the best role
3: model
2: yeah and he's not and although he's full of shit and this particular moment in time, he's not full of shit. He's telling the truth. And, you know, Smitty... He realized that Smitty's serious and that Smitty had strangled them both and put their bodies in the trunk of the car and left them out in an obvious place because he just didn't care any longer. But he did say that, uh, you know, every time I kill someone, it gets easier. So they don't have anything to pin on him, basically, is what I'm getting at. But they highly suspect him in, in the missing case of Gretchen and her sister. So remember when Gretchen was like, my brother-in-law's involved in the mafia? Yeah, she wasn't lying. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, A group of men show up at Smitty's called the Tucson Mafia, and they basically put pressure on him to be like, where are the fucking girls? Where are they? What have you done with them? To the point that they literally drive him to San Diego to look for her because he lied and said that she ran off to San Diego. So they literally take him to look for her. And because uh, Schmitty's a fucking idiot while he's asking people you know he's pretending to ask about you know door-to-door with these mobsters pretending to care asking about these people at some point when he's not right there with them but nearby he starts impersonating an fbi agent for funsies he's a fucking idiot which obvious which obviously i don't feel like i need to tell you this but the fbi really frowns upon impersonating them (laughs)
3: they don't get you know they're never best pleased about it I mean I've seen the X-Files
2: yeah they don't love that so he gets arrested oddly enough Hmm. Um, (laughs) and uh, so remember when I mentioned that Darlene girl that Richie was sweet on yeah that was yeah, well, that ends up not so great for Richie. Because Darlene was, like, one off and on, one of Smitty's girls. And uh he was paranoid about that, Richie was. He began to patrol her house to protect her from Smitty, allegedly. But her parents were like, he's stalking her. <laughs> and, um, so... They basically get a restraining order against him and he is forced to move to Ohio and bumfuck wherever where his grandmother lives.
3: They must be putting something in the water down there.
2: Maybe, I don't know. But yes, (laughs) around this time, Smitty went out with a 15-year-old girl named Diane Lynch who maybe weighed 87 pounds soaking wet. She was tiny and he looked at her and was like she's just my says because meaning she'd be easier to kill
3: yeah basically mm-hmm. he's like you know he's now looking rather than a relationship he's looking at you know the people that he can you know now feed that habit that he's got
2: totally and uh of course because for some reason this man knows how to perform voodoo over women she falls head over heels in love with him. And on their very first date, Smitty's like, will you marry me? And this woman or this child, actually, because she's 15, says yes. And, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and they get married. Uh, now, around this time, he takes a picture of himself with a plaster patch on his nose, claiming that he broke his nose. And you can find pictures of this on the internet. It is bizarre looking. It looks so stupid.
3: What was this to hide himself from the mafia?
2: I think it might have been a bit of a right, disguise. Okay. Yeah. Because he's still if he's still got a bunch of makeup on and he's still rocking a fake mole. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you, just, what, you know
2: yeah and the fake mole depending on the day varies in size by the way because i've seen it drawn on him in different sizes in different pictures yeah
3: and and also without going back into the movie too much i don't know if you noticed that but the more uh Ray goes erratic and within the movie the worse his mole looks.
2: And that seems to be true of Charles Schmidt as well.
3: Oh, okay, there we go. Mm-hmm. Another truth.
2: Yeah, they are uh, they were they were good with the makeup. The makeup department did that right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, they're hot on his trail at this point. Uh, you know, like the walls are closing in on Schmitty. Richie's own guilt by the way is becoming a problem <laughs> because he confesses everything and he's flown back from Ohio to Tucson. Now, and he takes the police to where the bodies are. He shows them the bodies, and that's a lock. They're like, all right, we've got this guy now. We
3: fucking got him.
2: We got him. And he's like, look, I need to tell you guys that John Saunders and Mary French knew about this too. He's got to get all, he's got to throw everyone under the bus and get all the skeletons out of the closet.
3: If I'm going down, they're going down with me. Everyone,
2: yeah, everyone's going down. We've all, I've got to cleanse myself of my sins. (laughs) <laughs> so they find the remains of the Fritz sisters, a bit of clothing, a wisp of hair, and now they're off to arrest Smitty. He was working in his front yard at the time when the cops came to arrest him. At first, he thought that uh, the, the unmarked cars uh, that had been circling a block, he clocked that they were watching him, but he thought it was the mafia at first. No, it's just the cops. So you're not going to get chopped up and, you know, shipped to New York to be put in the East River or anything, but, you know... You're probably gonna rot in a jail cell. Yeah. Hmm. So um, back at the police station, Smitty is played. The the cops play the tape of Richie's confession for Smitty. He's furious, obviously.
3: Yeah, he's just like, what, what, you know, what an absolute son of a bitch. How dare he, you know, rat me out when, you know, everybody else in the room is like, well, yeah, because you're a fucking arsehole.
2: Yeah, so then they bring Richie into the interrogation room thinking this will rattle his cage, you know. And then Smitty's just like, I know why you're doing this. And then Smitty's like, I'm innocent and I'll prove it at my trial. And then, you know... Zipped his lips. So they book him for the two murders. Because that's all they've got is Gretchen and Wendy at this point. And at booking, they ask him to remove his boots. So hmm, he's now three inches shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The photographers from the press crowded in. And uh, he sat down refusing to stand for them. Because I guess he just really didn't want to uh, uh, accentuate just how short he was.
3: I mean, you would think with all the money that he had, he'd be able to buy some, like, Tom Cruise shoes.
2: Right? Maybe they just didn't have good lifts back then. It is 1964.
3: Maybe yeah, good point.
2: mm yeah, and maybe he thought heels were, like... He had a very toxic sense of masculinity, so I imagine... Yeah, I suppose. But the, the idea of wearing actual heels, no matter how concealed, would feel emasculating
3: to him. i tell you something. If it was, like, modern day, I'd feel sorry for the spa that he goes to to get, like, a foot massage, because that would be a fucking traumatising.
2: Oh, my God. Like, cut-up, dirty heels.
3: Yeah. They'd be like, <laughs> what have you been doing? Wearing wearing cans in your shoes. And he's like, yeah.
2: How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Smitty was held without bail, and his hearing was set for December 13th. Obviously, the police were able to pretty easily secure a warrant. They searched his house, but they don't find too much. They do find like, loose evidence. Um, the one officer flew uh, to Connecticut to pick up John Saunders, where he had ended up, and another one went to get Mary French from Texas, where she ended up moving. And, you know, they've been brought in to testify. And after she was told that Smitty had gotten married, she spilled all the beans. She at first, when she, she still had a thing for him, was going to defend him. But as soon as she found out that he was hitched, She was loose lips.
3: Oh, Mary Loose Lips. That's what they called her.
2: (laughs) Totally. Now, now when taken to the murder location, he was unable to locate the grave. Likewise, Mary could not help, although the search turned up two rusty hair curlers. So they're nearby, because remember, the hair curlers. She
3: She had some hair curlers.
2: Yes. So Norma Rowe identified the the rusty hair curlers as definitely the ones that belonged to her daughter not sure if they're what was identifying about them but you know she confirmed that they were and like then,
3: personalized
2: yeah maybe i don't know they've got her initials embroidered <laughs> yeah, on the top
3: she was rich
2: uh, that's true all right so uh <laughs> an intensive search begins you know everyone's looking the area was dug up literally like you know meters in every direction but they found nothing now sheriff burr believed that a hurricane in september of 64 might have washed the bones to another location so county attorney norman green said that he would proceed with or without a body there was precedent at this time so like someone had already been convicted of a murder without a body so you know they could use that in the proceeding at the preliminary hearing, Saunders pleaded guilty to first-degree murder. Mary French agreed to plea to a plea deal on lesser charges, and both uh, testified for the state. Now, on November 30th, Smitty was bound over for trial in Superior Court, and John Saunders was sentenced a week later to life in prison, but would be eligible for parole in seven years. Now, Mary French was a was only charged as an accessory to murder. Uh, and concealing and which is a compounded felony she was eligible for parole in just four to five years and uh but schmidt's trial for the murder of gretchen and wendy was scheduled for the 15th of february 1966 and the state would go for the death penalty and then in on march 15th then he would stand trial for the death of aline Rowe. he ends up getting convicted on all counts and it Yes. No, he's sentenced to death. But the, the death penalty around 1971 was overturned in Arizona. So then his sentence was commuted to life. Unfortunately, his life didn't last much longer after this point. He was stabbed brutally in prison like 23 times by a few different inmates, lost his left eye and a kidney, and died about 20 days later in prison.
3: But did they, was it like, did they ever come out to say it was people like who knew of his crimes? Or was it just, you know, just a gang attack in prison? Or
2: it was. I think it was just like an attack in prison. He wasn't well liked. And he kind of like thought that because he was a, he thought he'd be left alone because he was a serial killer. But he's a short little dude in prison. No offense. Yeah. But he's also, a, like I said earlier, a decent looking one. I imagine he had a very hard time in prison.
3: Yeah, I can imagine that he probably did. And also, you know, he goes in there thinking, you know, he's Bobby Big Bollocks. But then, you know, uh, remember, you know, he's in prison with other killers. So he he ain't the only one. He mugged himself right over.
2: Yeah. And I mean, he was a guy who mainly killed small, mostly defensive teenage, mostly defenseless teenage girls. Yeah. You're not a big time dude. You're a coward.
3: (laughs) You're a piece of shit.
2: Yeah, i mean, yeah, a hundred percent. So, um, that's you know, I will say that there is a silver lining in the fact that in twenty fourteen they did finally find the remains of Aline and it was
3: confirmed through DNA. Right, okay.
2: Yeah. So yeah, that's uh that's what happened to old Charles Schmidt schmitty
3: Well, at least within the film, there you know, there's a lot more elements within the film that I thought there would be. Um, You know, compared to the real man and the real story. Um, But I also like the fact that after hearing all of that from you, I like the fact that they it felt like they weren't put in the film for the sake of being put in there. It felt like, you know, it was all part of the actual character and and so on. All the events that happened in the film didn't feel that they were out of place because they were purposely put there to be like, oh, well, in the real case, this is what happened and so on. No, it just, you know, the film worked well as a film.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it just so happens that the real Charles Smith was such a cartoonish man that he made for a perfect (laughs) villain.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly who these people are. Like they are, they are villains. They are bad guys. As much as you know, Netflix tries to fucking glorify the shit out of all these people. Um, God damn it, Netflix! Fuck them. You know, this is what I'm saying. You know, uh, like I've said to you before. You know, the you know that's what I enjoy about this show is because it's not glorifying them. It's telling people the you know the facts about everything that happened, uh, explaining the stories, and. Um, and it's not glorifying these people that don't need to be glorified because they're bloody assholes.
2: No, we take great delight in um, saying offensive things about them.
3: Yes, because guess what? They're f- fucking assholes.
2: Yeah, they fucking deserve it. They're pieces <laughs> of shit, and I have yeah. no qualms about calling them that.
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: All right. Well, I think it's time for you to plug your show before we leave.
3: Um, well, obviously, you know, on BP. from from the let's talk horror channel uh it's just basically a horror related channel that's pretty i've called it a channel because it is a podcast a podcast that you can find on any platform you can go to spotify you can go to apple podcasts any of them search for the let's talk horror channel you'll find it everything I do sometimes there's solo episodes sometimes I have amazing guests like Anastasia you've been on the show twice
2: I sure have
3: and uh great episodes we've we slagged Jared Leto off we've talked about uh Kurt <laughs> Russell's beautiful beard
2: beautiful beautiful beard
3: um you know and we got show...
2: psychosexual
3: <laughs> and we did get psychosexual and drunk yes <laughs> uh on a super fun episode that I regretted uh, two or three days after, because I had a headache, and because I'm old now, I forget what hangovers are truly like. Well, I didn't after that episode, because I had a big one. Um, so yeah, so we've got the podcast, and as well as that, the other reason I call it a channel is because yes, we I have the YouTube channel uh, as well, which I upload. Uh, at the moment, mostly it's reviews, but there's going to be a lot more coming. Right.
2: And I would, of course, be remiss if I didn't plug my other podcast, Attack of the Killer Objects, which you can find this podcast as well as Attack of the Killer Objects on Spotify, Amazon Music, Deezer, wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes. You want you listen to it there? We're there. You can find us. And our socials are horror. That's H-O-R-R. O-R-V-S Reality. (laughs) R-E-A-L-I-T-Y. And that's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You know, those places. Same thing for Attack of the Killer Objects. All the words spelled out uh, at all the same
3: places. And and as well as that, make sure you do the same for Let's Talk Horror Channel as well, because I'm on all of them and I love chatting with everyone about horror.
2: Yes, follow us both on all those places. (laughs) All right well uh bp it was lovely as per usual thanks for coming on the show and helping out
3: oh thank you for you know having me i look listen i know i'm no morgan uh you know (laughs) while she's away having the time of her life you know having fun we you know we're getting down to we're getting down to the the nitty-gritty talking uh you know about nasty people who dolphin on other people um
2: and put ridiculous fake moles on their face
3: and put you know Exactly. Do you and hands a, in a, their boots. <laughs> it's a, do you know what? It's a look I might try out one day. You never know.
2: <laughs> a lot of women do it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, Marilyn Monroe did. So if she can, so can I.
2: That's true. That's true. Uh, stay tuned to find out if BP starts wearing a fake mole on his face. <laughs> 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 uh, and on that note, we will bid you adieu until the next episode. Check us out then. Bye, guys.
3: Bye.